and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is crafting to feed his family and make an offering to Odin. This is Game 5, turn round 5, turn 6, and I am joined once again by the analytical gamer himself, Jesse! Hello! Pew, pew. <laughs> this round, we're going to be reviewing a game that is decidedly not out yet the often Who decided that the uh, the, uh, the design the designers the publishers i believe china the often talked about but rarely seen in the wild blood on the clock tower blood on the clock tower blood on the clock tower and we'll also be talking about our favorite thing since that is our theme and this week that favorite thing is our favorite immersive mechanics so we're going to see what we mean by that, or mechanisms for those who use the metric system. <laughs> we got a lot to cover today. We got a lot to talk about. We have a very hot game that very few people have ever been able to play, and we were lucky enough to play it. So uh, let's get to this week's game night. That game night theme would work so well for Blood on the Clock Tower. Oh, man. I know. I was thinking the same thing, actually. (laughs) It really is perfect for that. On Tuesday, we played uh, Food Chain Magnet with the Ketchup Expansion, of course. And we also played On the Underground. Jesse, how was On the Underground? Uh, It was good. We played the London side. Mm -hmm. Uh, You haven't played it yet, right? I have not played it yet, no. Yeah. Uh, it's a fun little game. Like you're laying down trains and, uh, it's kind of like ticket to ride and that there's little, you're laying down trains and, and there's little lanes. There's only a certain amount of slots and, um, you, people can block you. Just you convince me never to play it. Exactly. Um, but it's actually, it's actually really interesting. Um, you're basically trying to enable this character to get across the city, whether it's London or, or the other side of the board is, is Germany, mm-hmm. um, Berlin. In this case, we we're doing London, and um, you they, they they encourage you to make a, the character like to name them. Okay. And um, and so we decided to name our character Megan for Megan Markle. And is it all one player? I mean, it's cooperative. So it's a cooper. Well, no, no, no. We're playing against each other. So there's like whether well, there's three of us that we played. Oh, but you're all fighting on where Megan goes. Yes. So every turn, she's going to basically travel from from one sort of landmark to another landmark, and there's like oh, there's so landmarks. Big bends and yeah, so on exactly. And so forth. The yellow ones are the priority ones, so she must go there first. But if there's two, then sh- uh, you can try to, you know, finagle her to go to this one versus that one. Interesting. And then she'll go to a basic landmark. Um, but yeah, we were sort of imagining that this was her Meghan Markle running back and forth across town looking for her new flat now that she's, you know, makes it. Interesting. <laughs> the makes it. Okay, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I'm dying to play it. It looks gorgeous. Yeah, it, it's got a great table presence, and you guys seem to. It looked like the three of you had a really fun time playing. Yeah, and it's it's weird because it seems really simple, and I kind of go, oh, I don't know, maybe I like this, maybe not. But it's like it's it's intriguing, and you play it once, you kind of go, oh, I got it. But but then you start thinking about it more, and you're like, I want to try something else. Did you ever play Tokyo Metro? Because it, it, I don't think so, actually. Because it looks and feels, and by your description, it sounds like it might mm. have a little bit in common with Tokyo Metro. It's mm. a very, very interesting uh, a game as well in, yeah. in the same space a little bit. I also like that the, the, the Germany board is not just like a different map, mm-hmm. but it has a different dynamic to it. And, Great. And, and actually slightly different rules, even. Oh, okay. And that, the set collection of things. So that's, yeah, so very much like Age of Steam, you you change the map, you change some of the rules, and all of a sudden you have a very different game, yeah. right? Which yeah. 
extends the life of a, of a game by a lot when you yeah. can do that. That's yeah. great. Um, we played Food Chain Magnate. Yeah. Uh, this was my, I think, fourth play of, of the, the game of the, of the game with the new expansion. And each time what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to add in new elements. Now, take out some elements because... You'd have to be a psychopath to try and play with all of the elements in this game. How does that work? I understand you just like swap things out. Have you yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot of the modules are add to this one card, hmm. and this card has this rule, right? Just add a card, not like add it and take something else out. You can just make here. Go ahead and throw in all the cards if you want. You could, but yeah, like I'm saying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. How do you so, know how to balance it? Well, they, they're, the game designers have some recommendations. Right. They have recommended sets of, of expansion parts, right. modules to put in at various times. What we did is for the first game, we just pretty much played with the new milestones, mm. which is the, the, the backbone of the expansion. And so far, fantastic. Absolutely cool. fantastic. Um, the second time, we added in coffee, so coffee is a new thing that's out there, and, and a couple of little things. Uh, then this time, we went a little bigger. This time, we added in uh, rural area. Uh, we added in apartment buildings. We added in some very special uh, cards you can get, like there's the night shift manager, which uh, I, I use, the lobbyist which can actually add roads onto the board. Because if you remember in Foonshade Magnet, where your restaurant is, right. you know, the way those roads go tell you how far you are from everything. So if all of a sudden you can hire a lobbyist and right. he can cause a new road to be built here, all of a sudden That's your cool. restaurant's in a much better place, right? That's great. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Apartment buildings have no cap to how many things that they could want. Right. And whenever you advertise to them, it advertises two things to that thing for every mm -hmm. one you advertise. So if you advertise one hamburger... That place wants two hamburgers, right? Because they're talking to their neighbors and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it, it adds, it ramps up really quickly. So, so the noodle strategy probably work with the apartments. It could work with the apartments. Well, uh, it, it's okay. So I just heard you guys talking about the noodle. I haven't played with that yet, but the, the noodle is really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. It's only if nobody can fulfill an order to that place, they will accept noodles instead. Mm. And then you can give noodles and mm. a noodle chef makes 16 noodles right. or something crazy. <laughs> No, I did something different, which is um, we had um, I was playing with Elder and Trey, and they did they took marketer as their first thing, so they had the super marketing strategy going, which means that they were minus two distance to everywhere, so mm. they could out deliver me virtually for everything in the whole game because three players it's not a very large map. Right. So I went with the recruiting girl, which means I get a lot of slots and all that sort of stuff, and so I had to figure out okay how do I play this. They, even to, like, I have one house that I can deliver to easier than they can. So am I going to price war? And am I going to just drive down the price so much that I can deliver to these places instead of them? Maybe. Instead, I went with the night manager. Now, the mm. night manager is interesting. Every non-salaried employee, everybody that doesn't draw salary, all the base level guys, they work twice. Hmm. Because they work the night shift. You, know, right. you get the day shift and the night yeah. shift. You get uh, get uh, twice the thing. So my kitchen trainee doesn't make one burger or one pizza. He makes two burgers or two mm. pizzas, right? Which is good. My yeah. errand boy gets two drinks instead of one drink. Can they get overworked? Nope. <laughs> there's, America. There's always, there's always another high school dropout waiting <laughs> to fill that slot. No, it was, it was yeah, it, it, it 
uh, I was McDonald's. I was really just just horrible corporate practices yeah. uh, that paid off. But because of that, the, guess what? The trainer trains twice in a day. Oh, the wow. recruiting person recruits twice in a day. And my base level marketer that can only put out the billboards, they put it, they can put out two billboards yeah. in a day. So what I ended up doing was I just flooded the board with between their marketing and my marketing. I had basically I was marketing things that they didn't have access to. Mm. So that there were all these houses that were starting to fill up with stuff because you can only deliver to a house if you deliver everything that that house wants. Right. So before you know it, I've got an army of, I've got like eight kitchen trainees and <laughs> four errand boys wow. and I'm going last in the turn order and I can get anything, I can have them make anything I want. So I just watch what they've marketed, look at what the house situation is, count it up wow. and I can deliver to anybody because I'm super, super flexible. It's uh, diabolical. It is. Well, the most diabolical thing is there's this, <laughs> there's this very rarely used card called the luxuries manager that makes everything that you sell cost $10 more. The reason it's rarely played with is that everybody beats you. I mean, you could be on the opposite end of the board and even distance-wise, you're still going to deliver cheaper than ten a $10 right. surcharge, right? Postmates, I'm Postmates. <laughs> I ended up doing a Postmates strategy. I charged $10 more because I knew I was the only right. one who could deliver right. to six houses on the map. Wow. And I had sort of like two massive last round turns. <laughs> Trey was way ahead with his right. marketing strategy. Elder was doing well. And then I came in and just just cleaned house mm. by, by delivering those goods. Which is to say, this game is is really it's it's gone from being what I already thought was a masterpiece yeah. to being a truly a, a truly exceptional game in the sense that you can add in these cards and in these modules and new strategies become completely viable mm. and very very interesting but they're all they're all beatable right they're all like my strategy isn't isn't perfect if they stopped marketing I can't possibly put out enough billboards myself to change things, right? Yeah. They would, they had to to zig when I zag. They yeah. had to they had to change up what they were what they were doing, and they could have totally destroyed me because they they can they can under they can price cut me yeah. uh, to death in a heartbeat. Very interesting game. Yeah. Can't wait. Uh, we should be getting a review of that very yeah. very soon. As you can tell, what we're trying to do is we're trying to play as many of the modules as we can so that we can give you a definitive review of this very important expansion. Maddie time. We got together with Maddie uh, just to, you know, just to see how he's doing, uh, you know, welfare check and right. all that sort of stuff. Uh, he is bathing again, which is good. <laughs> so thank you for your cards and letters. We really appreciate that. We played Kalis 1303, the, the brand new redo of Kalis. We'll be doing a review of that eventually. I will say that my feelings on it are mixed. It's been mm. getting great reviews. It's been getting raves from people. Um, I am a fan of the original Kalis. Joletti of uh, Drive Through RPG, uh, Drive Through Games, did a review where uh, Kalis is his favorite game. He's mm. famously saying that, and he loves Kalis thirteen oh three and thinks he prefers it to the original. I love the original Kalis. I'm not sure I prefer thirteen oh three. It's a great game. Don't get me wrong. It is a great game. It is a. It is so reminiscent of the original Kalis that it's kind of splitting hairs to some degree, mm. but. After one play, which is way too early to tell, 
I feel like if I had to add up the pluses and the minuses of this version versus the original version, I think this version is easier to learn. I think it's about 15 minutes shorter teach. I think it's uh, elegant in a way that the original was not quite as elegant. But I do think that there are decision spaces that have been taken out of the game and replaced with less interesting ones. So this is, this is like uh, sounds like the Demacher situation all over again. It might be. It might be. Matt, so I did not did not back the new Demacher. Oh, Maddie did, and he is threatening to drop it at my doorstep and force me to play it. <laughs> uh, no, listen, I, I want to play the new Demacher. I really do because I, I want to give it its, its fair due, and I want to see what it is. I was like, from reading the rules, I've got you know warning flags throwing up left, right, and center. But I, I'm, you know, admittedly mm-hmm. way too close to this. Yeah, yeah. Way too close <laughs> to this. So maybe when I play it, I'll be like, oh, you know what? That is, like, I was thinking disaster in comparison to this masterpiece. Uh-huh. And in reality, no, this is, for, for people that don't have five hours to play the masterpiece, this is a really good four-hour, three-hour game. Wow. I, I'm I'm coming around to the idea that maybe that's acceptable. Maybe that's maybe that's going to be. So they made it. a more accessible version that's only three or four hours. I don't know yet. I haven't played. Okay. I can't say. Can't say. <laughs> but but we'll we'll see. We'll see. But uh, my first play, Kalis, I I did not think it was better than the original. So we'll we'll, we'll get into that later. Right. And then Friday came, and now, <laughs> Jesse, you have you have tried to get this this uh, what we had Friday night happening. You've been talking about getting this happening for a while. You tried to set it up. You were thwarted. On all sides, <laughs> you were beset by obstacles, but you kept at it. And boy, oh boy, am I glad that you did because we had an epic uh, night of Blood on the Clock Tower. Who brought Blood on the Clock Tower for us to play? Uh, Megan. Yeah. So, uh, so this started in Australia in like I want to say 2014. I think so. I and, think it's been that. Long. Uh, Megan was just at like her friends' like game night. They just meet up every once in a while, and. Um, and this guy brought, he's like, hey, guys, I'm just playing with this idea. I, I kind of want to fix Werewolf. Can we try out this, this new game, Blood and Clock Tower? And then I don't know if they called it Blood and Clock Tower then. Um, and they said, sure. And then it's just been ever since. And then we go on. And now they have, they have three editions that, that are going to come with the set. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the, you know, the Kickstarter release. And they have four or five. I don't know if you heard her talking about this, but there's like four or five like kind of in the works already. Yes, I did hear about yeah. that. We'll, we'll talk about more yeah. of that because that's going to be our review today. But needless to say, last night we had at 1.14, but for the most of the night, 13 people here uh, to play Blood on the Clock Tower. It was like it was like I, I got a horn out and I just blew it into this guy. <laughs> and, and dorks from like <laughs> all over Los Angeles just descended on us. It was it, awesome. They were it great. Was friends, of, friends of mine who, you know, who are reliable once a year game night people, <laughs> right? Who, when they can possibly make it and things like that. And uh, they came out of the woodwork and it was, it was fantastic. And one of your friends uh, knew so much about the game and the oh, he'd been watching of all of that. Yeah, he'd but been... he'd never played before. He just like read all the rules so intensely, and he was like, "This works like this." And I'm like, "How many times have you played this game?" He's like, "Not None. never, never." <laughs> he was way into it yeah. too. He did a great job. Yeah. He did a great job. So we'll be talking about that uh, more in a bit. Right now, let's get to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Alpha, South American. All the tips and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Play. The news. 
First up in game news, just last week we were talking about No Pun Included. We were talking about how much we love them. And in particular, we were talking about how much we love their Game of the Year choices because their Game of the Year choices were not were not things that everybody was picking. So to recap, in 2017, they chose Sidereal Confluence. Nobody chose Sidereal Confluence. Mm-hmm. It's a great game. It wouldn't be on my top two or three from that year, but in, it's probably, if I had to pick what is the game nobody is talking about this year that everyone should have played, it probably would have been Sidereal Confluence. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. 2018 come, came around, and they uh, p- picked as their game of the year, Now Boarding. Jesse, have you played Now Boarding? It's the Tim Fowers cooperative game where we're all operating airlines. No. Nope. We've been playing it a lot lately. Um, I think you were, you've were you always ended up being in the other in the other group. Our games were sh- finished shorter. I don't remember seeing that game. Well, let's put it this way. If Jake has played it twice, <laughs> situations have happened. Yeah. Um, very good game. It's one of these games that we are playing more and more. It's it's kind of becoming our go-to. Well, we got about, you know, we ended a little early tonight. We got about 45 minutes uh, yeah. to, to hang around. Let's let's get that out. Yeah, he does good with that. Like, Burgle Bros is interesting. Yes. That might be a little longer, but yeah. The Burgle Bros yeah. can, can play around that around I really that want to play um, Sabotage. Sabotage. Yeah, you got it out last week. Yeah. I, I saw that. I can't wait to, to show it to you. It's yeah, yeah. it's really fun. It is it was it made my top ten list of the year. Yeah. It's phenomenal. This year, no pun included, just gave their twenty nineteen game of the year review, uh, which is a game that they already viewed. It is Pipeline. They gave it to Pipeline. I, I have to say these guys are three for three. Um when I put together my top ten list, the hardest game to place was Pipeline. The hardest game to place for yeah. me. Where did you place it? I placed it number three, I believe. Mm. Three or four. I put number three or four. But the reality was, I was like, Pipeline could be, I could put that in the number one slot and sleep easy. I mm. could put it in the number two slot and sleep easy. I could put it anywhere there. The interesting thing about it, and we've talked about this before on the show, we talked about it is criminal how low in the BGG rankings Pipeline is. Mm. Barrage is getting its its due... Uh, Crystal Palace is doing well, not as amazing as I would hope it would, but it's doing well. Marvel Cha- Marvel Champions is doing great. Like a lot of the a lot of the marquee games from the year, Pipeline is still languishing way down yeah, there. What do you think that is? I have no idea. I played it with my family up uh, over the Christmas break. My wife loved it. Hmm. Um, my brother's wife loved it. My brother loved it. My uh, son loved playing it. Hmm. It was their favorite game. Wow. And each time it played different, and each time they they kind of dug it more and more. I think part of it is there's the spatial puzzle yeah. of the pipes tied to a very interesting economic engine where I need to do three things. I can only do one of them. Which one am I going to do? And how much is it going to hurt that I didn't choose this other one? That's yeah. uh, very interesting. Uh, I think it was. I think the components. I think Eno Tool. It's probably my favorite Yono tool uh, design as far as the artwork goes yeah. because it could be a very dry economic mm, game right. about about Ice. pipelines and buying crude <laughs> well, yeah. and especially with the with the metal cubes and everything it's just stunningly gorgeous it's mm. just absolutely beautiful simplistic design uh, choices that were made with the artwork that were really phenomenal but they named pipeline I can't be happier because once again they picked an amazing game that isn't quite getting its due 
and they're they're signal boosting it to, to to try and get more people to check it out. So I think that's phenomenal. Congratulations, right. guys! Uh, you guys are knocking it out of the park. Next up in well, I think kind of not great news, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about what it is. Um, Asmodee. The large, large game company that is only getting larger has announced the acquisition of Repos Productions. Mm-hmm. Repos made Times Up. Uh, they made Seven Wonders, Cash and Guns, and they made this year's Just One, which won the Spiel des Jahres. So we're going to see a lot more of those at board games. Yeah, I mean the problem is, is Asmodee is buying up everybody. Mm. They're buying up everybody. Uh, so. Repost production now has been assimilated into the board collective, and who knows what's going to happen. Now, I will say this. So far, Asmodee is still doing great. They are turning out great games. They're making good choices. All is yeah. all is well. I would just say that in most other creative realms and creative endeavors, when too much of the production of the creative content is is concentrated in too few hands, that yeah. tends not to be a good thing for that for that art form. So, so we, hopefully another big competitor would come out there, but but otherwise it's a, it's a good thing, like you know that we're making board games more prevalent. And- yeah, yeah. Listen, if they're if if they're gonna get times up seven wonders, just one into the hands of more people, I think that's great. These are mostly party games, and and in yeah. that in in that kind of genre, so that could they could use a signal boost, right? Mm-hmm. They could. This is these are. Games that should be more in the mass market. Yeah. So I, I get that. I think that's I think that's great. Just long term, uh, I worry about what that is going to do. Next up, Elizabeth Hargrave of what game did she do? The Wingspan. That's exactly right. She's got a game coming out in 2020 called Mariposas. Jesse, what does Mariposas mean? I Mariposas. Uh, I don't know. Butterflies. Oh, yeah, the butterfly? It means the butterflies. <laughs> She's doing a game about butterflies. We only have very little information on this right now, except that it is uh, supposed to come out in 2020 at some point. And it is about the monarch butterflies leaving Mexico and moving up through North America. Uh, there is a map in this one. So this is going to be a set collection game where you're trying to get all the great examples of the various butterflies, but it also will have a spatial um, piece to it because there's going to be three seasons in the game when the the butterflies migrate north in the spring, when they spread out in the summer, and then when they return south in the fall. I think those are the three opportunities to see all the different types of butterflies and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm seeing a trend here. The yeah. birds and the butterflies and... Um, under if the theme is underused themes, yes, I think that's right, true. Right. I think that's great. All the sci-fi nerds or fantasy nerds are like, "Hope she goes dragons next." <laughs> <laughs> Look, we talked about it yesterday. Jake would love to see right. like if the if the butterflies could just have just some sort of laser beam on their <laughs> oh, yeah. on, on their heads. That's that's all that's all he needs for it to have fun. But uh, but me personally, I love. I love the ideas that she is coming up with in terms of uh, different themes for stories. And I hope very much that this game follows in the tradition she has already started because uh, Wingspan was a phenomenal, phenomenal introduction. Next up, we have Return to Dark Tower. We talked about Return to Dark Tower several times. It is a reimagining of an old Milton Bradley classic. Oh, man. 
which game. is not a great game. Oh, it is not a great game. <laughs> no, no, no. And those towers, man, I think they lasted an average of two plays before they broke. Oh, mine, mine lasted. Did it really? Yeah. I, I mean, I believe so. I, every time I pulled it out, I, I think it worked. Right, mine kept getting trashed. They are doing. They're crushing Kickstarter. They they were had a eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar goal. They're at two point five yeah. million basically. Sixteen days to go. If you want to get up on it, um, please do. It looks gorgeous. We're I'm looking at some of the artwork for it now. Uh, it's interesting. You get a character, and that character has different abilities, and the abilities are little. Uh, chits that can be flipped mm-hmm. over to their opposite sides mm-hmm. so you can mm, customize your your heroes to some degree um the combat system looks interesting look the the old dark tower was essentially a random number generator that looked really cool yeah right it would just come up with a number and th- and that's what happened this is a much much different thing this I- this tower is animatronic it will parts of it will open and mm. skulls will pour out and those skulls will go on your buildings and you have to clear those skulls because if you don't you're going to be seriously seriously harmed by your buildings getting destroyed That's and cool. things like that which is which is kind of cool i i will say that looking at this not knowing because i haven't played but looking at this i wonder how much there is there it looks like it might be it might have not gotten far enough away from the original Dark Tower. Your first comment was, this isn't that very, it wasn't that good a game. I would hope that they actually, they try to dig into it. And and I feel like both of them would. They they, they definitely and, are digging into it to some degree. Um, and it, this one's co-op now, right? This is mm-hmm. a little, little different dynamic yep. before. Yep. There's, uh, uh, there's an Alliance add-on for 30 bucks. Dark Horde Alliance for sixty-five bucks. So mm. they are pumping out that content. Yeah, I just, I just when it when I'm thinking about this and I'm looking at this, I'm like, I don't see how I buy this sight unseen. Yeah, I don't I, see I, how I, I don't play it. What's the price tag? Like one eighty or something? I'll tell you right now, uh, one hundred and twenty-five. Oh, okay, uh, for a base copy. So with the expansion. About one yeah, plus thirty, plus sixty-five, whatever yeah, yeah. you, you want to do. Wow. Um, it, it 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 looks like it could be interesting, but when you look at the size of the map, the board that you play on that is around the dark tower, it looks very constricted. Hmm. It looks like wow, I'm not really sure how much of this will work. That said, it is designed by Rob da- Rob Davio and Isaac Childress. Yeah, so. Of all the legacy games, I'm telling you, I know that's interesting. That you know, that is a uh, a super group. Yeah, yeah. In board gaming terms, that is the Asia of. (laughs) I mean, this could be their heat of the moment. Yeah, uh, coming out right now. Uh, We'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm not. uh, I'm not. I'm not convinced, but I'm very very intrigued. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that when we go to Strategicon next month, that. Maybe somebody will have a demo yeah. copy of that to play. Oh, wow. Because I would love to check that out. No no promises, nothing at all suggesting that they will, but uh, we can live in hope. Next up, we have a new Kickstarter, Foundations of Rome. Emerson Matsucci uh, is a designer. He did uh, the Century series, so Century Road and um, all of those games. He also did Spectre Ops. So uh, he's got a he's got a fairly good design history. 
Um, he has a game that has 19 days to go left. It's uh, Foundations of Rome, and it has already kicked. It's got 320-something thousand dollars pledged on the $50,000 goal as of this moment. And this is a city-building game in which each player has this player mat, which has all of these gorgeous buildings on it. And then essentially what's going to happen is, is is two cards will be drawn or a certain number of cards will be drawn. And those essentially are going to pick a number that is a lot, a, a lot on a square uh, grid that has lots numbered from zero to 100 or whatever. I'm not sure, sure what the, the exact number is. I think based on what that lot number comes up, everyone is going to try and compete to build a building on that lot. Um, there seems to be somewhat of a polyonimo uh, theme in that the not all buildings are shaped the same or right. score the same, things like that. It looks stunning. It looks like a Kickstarter gem in that sense. Uh, looking at the rules, however, the game looks light. I'm mm. just going to say that. I'm going to say that the descriptions of the game on the Kickstarter and the way it looks look like a almost civilization building game. It looks like a, a kind of heavy thing. Reading the rules, I am not sure. Mm. Now, that said, his Century Road series, the, those those games that he has done, they seem uh, they seem pretty light, and yet they have uh, hidden complexity. So yeah. there is there is depth to them that you don't see just from reading the rules. So uh, that could work out well for them. But uh, yeah, I guess this is another one. I got some questions, and I want to play it before I buy it for this one. Uh, but the third Kickstarter, the third Kickstarter is different. This one is Oath. Oath is the new Cole Whirly game. It is a strategy game for one to six players, remembering history that is forgotten. Uh, it is got 16 days to go as of today. It has a, a goal of $50,000. Sure, Cole. Sure, your goal was fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> it's at seven hundred and twenty-four thousand wow. dollars now. It's it's uh, it's it's going like gangbusters. There's no way fifty thousand dollars. Come on, come on, get real. Um, okay, so in Oath, Oath is not a legacy game, but it is a campaign game. In that, when you play it, um, you'll get to the end of a story, sort of, but you can continue from there. And the choices, the things that have been chosen for the game, the end state of the game will sort of be the start state for the next game. What uh, genre are we talking about here? Um, it is kind of root-esque. Okay. It, it is um, fantasy, uh, medieval fantasy right. with uh, creatures instead of people to some degree. Okay. The idea is, is that there is a uh, current government that exists in the land. Mm -hmm. And you will play as either, you're going to play a citizen or exile. Okay. If you are playing an exile, you're trying to overthrow that government of the chancellor. You're trying to become the new uh, chief, the, the new head of this government. And you'll do so when you get a card in the game which gives you a vision for a new society. Mm. Or you can play as a citizen in which you are trying to prop up and help survive the uh, the chancellor and be the one, be the citizen with the most prestige when that happens. Mm. Oh, interesting. So mm. I, I think uh, to put it in today's terms, you're either playing Bernie Sanders yeah. or you're playing Joe Biden. Right. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> right, you could play either one of those. Um, uh, looking at it, it, it looks 
it looks cool. It looks very Root-esque in, in some ways, but it looks like more of a campaign game, more of a story game. It supposedly takes six minutes to pack up and three minutes to set up. Huh. If that is true, and that includes the fact that you are telling the same story, extending the same story, so you can save the game state, right. restart from that game state going forward, and do that all in three to six minutes, yeah. that's pretty huge. Yeah, Because other games that do this, the Gloomhavens of the world and things like that, oh my God, that is, you know, let's play the setting up the game game. I got that down to like 10 to 15 minutes. If you can get the organizer, then... Yeah, it's so expensive. I know. I can't do that. It's too expensive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if, there is, if there's one that I am not going to try before I buy, it is going to be Oath. I'm, I'm almost certain that I'm going to kick it. It looks cool. I think, I think Maddie has already... Uh, I don't even want to guess what Maddie has done. It, <laughs> it looks great. It looks great. Uh, next up... Fantasy Flight, we talked last week about how Fantasy Flight had these huge layoffs, but we did say that the board game division was spared. And good thing that is so, because Fantasy Flight is putting out a game called Cosmic Encounter Duel. Mm. This is a two-player Cosmic Encounter-esque experience. Mm. Now, Jesse, did you ever play Cosmic Encounter? Yeah. Um, I, I, I do get it confused with a couple other different things, but I, <laughs> I, I have played it. I'm pretty sure times. that you have, I think, yes. You know, Cosmic Encounter was the one of the original um, variable player power games, mm-hmm. and especially broken player power games. <laughs> In fact, the whole game was designed around the idea of we're going to create these alien races that are so completely broken mm-hmm. and so ridiculously broken, but we're going to try and make them all relatively equally broken. In very different ways, right. so that we're five people are playing the same game, but nobody's playing the same game. Is there like a plant race? Uh, you're thinking of Eclipse? Yes. Yes. But Planta. I still have played Cosmic Encounters. <laughs> I, I believe you have. That Cosmic Encounters, the term the sniveler comes from Cosmic uh, Encounter. That's a race in the yeah. Cosmic Encounter right. where you can just snivel your way into getting resources from the other people. That's your superpower. Okay. You just basically take things from people. Right. Um, it is it is nutso. Um, how to do that as a two-player game, I wouldn't say could be done. Right. So how different is this game going to be than the original uh, Cosmic Counter? Don't know. All I will say is that the explanation of the game, uh, they do lay out a one of the races, and that race is the cheater. <laughs> uh, and the cheater can take a, an additional tactic card in in the game or a a tactic that they can use and they're allowed to use it as long as they want as long as nobody can guess what what they're cheating with oh if you can't guess what the you know how you're getting away with doing all of this if you can guess it then the cheaters benefit is taken away from them at least for a period of time that sounds classic cosmic encounter yeah so i'm looking forward to it I, i i i very much hope I think a short two-player take that Cosmic Encounter might be the best Cosmic Encounter. Mm. The Mm. larger game probably overstayed its welcome if we were looking at it with today's tastes and got into a situation where it was just all Kingmaker. It's like, okay, I go next. Um, I'm going to try and win. And the person on my left, his job is to stop me from winning and to make sure I can't win this round. And then he's going to try to win, and the person on his left has got the job of trying to stop him from winning, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so it's this right. circular firing squad thing until eventually 
somebody just looks out and oh, oh that person can't actually stop me because they spent too many resources stopping the other guy and, yeah, that, yeah. and that sort of thing happened but that is uh that is cosmic encounter i'm looking forward to that and one last bit of news today the today show put out a a, a, a little piece where they talked about 10 board games for adults today uh-oh yeah today's show <laughs> Yeah, great. Now here's the thing. No, the, the 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 truth of it is, is that I've been noticing this. That I used to look at these things when they would put out. Oh, here are the here are the the hot games for adults that you're playing right now, and they were just all so depressingly horrible. Mm-hmm. They were just so right. far off. And then something happened about I, I think probably around less than five years ago, mm-hmm. and especially in the last two or three years, yeah. where the mainstream outlets that are putting out these things were not that bad anymore. Mm. You know, they're, 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 they weren't picking, you know, Monopoly, a Monopoly yeah. version. Cranium. They weren't picking, yeah. yeah, they weren't picking those games. They were picking some more interesting games. They at least got somebody to tell them, right. hey, there's some things happening in the in the board gaming hobby. Maybe we should check some of these things out and give some of these recommendations. Like, what were some examples of like good suggestions they made? Yes, Unfortunately, today has gone old school, and they have done the old version. So the board games for adults, specifically for adults, were uh, Do You Know Me, which is a game from the people that made What Do You Meme, Flying Sushi Kitchen Game, Twister Scrabble, Monopoly Speed, Uh Not Parents Approved, LCR, which I guess, Party Bowl, uh, game mashups, Candyland, and Connect Four. This is a game for adults. They're talking about. Oh my god! So they just got bought out. They they I don't know what happened. Something yeah yeah something just horrible when happened. It's depressing. Yeah, it's very very sad because because we work very hard to sort of be evangelists of the hobby. We try to get it out there. And every once in a while, you know, a, a larger media outlet will will pick up the torch and just immediately drop it and set themselves on fire. Yeah, just, seriously. <laughs> I could not. It is such a lazy collection of wow. games. It's just lazy. Yeah. You could, even if, even if I said, okay, you can't look at any game that was made in any other country other than the United States. United States titles only. Mm. You could do that. Only games that you could get in Target. Yeah. Right? Even that. Jaws. Oh, my God. You could come up with... Yeah, like Villainous is not a terrible game. Yeah. It's it's pretty damn good. Yeah. You could do such a better job than this this dumpster fire that they have, that they have chosen. And it's just sad. It's just sad. So today, come on, get with it, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, last but not least, there was a uh, metric that was done on the most played board games on BGG.com. Mm. This is a quiz for you, Jesse. This the is a quiz. Most played? Yeah, I have the top five list of the games that have the most plays ever uh, logged. People, logged. People say, oh, I tap played yes. this game. Yes. Logged. Who would do that? Is it people playing Catan? <laughs> Do you want? To, are you guessing Catan? Because I mean, there there are five on the on the list. I'm going to give you five guesses. We're going to see how many that, uh, of the top five that you can guess. Oh my god, um, I don't know who would who would do that. I, I don't know that. Uh, and, and consistently, like a whole group of people. Like I don't know. Could, 
I don't know. I feel like Catan might be one of them. Maybe Agricola. But I don't know that enough people are playing that even. Okay. Catan, not on the list. Okay. Agricola, not on the list. Yeah. Um, these games are probably a little bit shorter. Yeah, shorter. So like um, um, the Apples to Apples one. The um, um, Well... Oh, wait, what about... Um, Party gamers tend secret- not to list. Oh, yeah, they tend not to Tend okay. not to list their plays. I got nothing then. All right, I'm going to give you from five to one. Number five, Carcassonne, which is really interesting because that's a really old game, yeah. but people just keep playing it and playing it and playing it. Number four is interesting because it's the most recent addition to the list. Codenames is yeah. one of the top okay. four most played, the most logged plays I, I consider game. that a party game. That's not very old. Well, that's the only party game really on the list. Uh, number three, Magic Gathering. Okay. Right? I, I can see them doing that. Yep. Number two, Race for the Galaxy. No. Oh. Huge plays. And the number one game, and by the way, by a, by a stretch, this has way more plays than everything else on BGG. And it's very interesting. Democker. Close. <laughs> not Democker. <laughs> Dominion. <laughs> oh, I just, oh, I just said it wrong. DiGiorno. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Right? Dominion. Tons and tons of plays. That, that, those guys are raking it in. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. All right. Let's, uh, let's do a quick games on the brain. Games. Games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby. Thank you, Daedalus. Tickling the ivories there. Just so fantastic. Uh, Jesse, what's on your brain these days? Um, you know, we talk a lot about board games, but um, sometimes I have other games on my brain. Sure, that's of right. course. That's valid. Um, Jake, Jake talked about something. I don't even know how that's a game. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I've been playing a lot of this uh, game called Team Fight Tactics. Team Fight Tactics. Team Fight Tactics. TFT. It is uh, auto chess by, okay. uh, by Riot. So, okay. Uh, League of Legends. Uh, so you're familiar with auto chess? Nope. You're going to be uh, picking out these different champions. Uh-huh. Okay. And you're going to be, uh, you're going to pay for them with gold and you're going to level up experience. When you go up an, a level, that means you can put an extra guy out on the field. And, uh, and you basically have this like um, six by eight grid. Okay. You're on one side, eight other players or seven other players, eight of you all thrown in there. Um, you're going to fight one of them at a time kind of thing. And you're basically the champions you have get thrown on the battlefield and you watch. So and you squ- watch squad based arena combat where the where it's all automated and it's based on who you built. It's who you built and uh, the uh, items that you put on them. Uh-huh. Um, and the items you can combine each of the different like I think there's like nine items and you can combine each of them and they'll create something new. And they all benefit different champions in different ways. And so there's a couple different things happening here. So every uh, each champion has two sort of uh, abilities or skills. Like mm-hmm. some of them may be like glacial and then like mage. Okay. And right. somebody else may be like desert mage or whatever it is. And then you go, oh, so I got two mages. So if you have three mages, for instance, they have a chance of double casting. So whatever they do for their magic they'll double, they could possibly double it. And if you get six mages out, well, 100% chance that all of your mages will, will do this double cast, which is 
super OP. Okay. <laughs> but they're all OP once you can, you know, maximize. So there's, so there's that dynamic. You want to really like synergize the different champions. Right. right? You, want, you, want a, you want a team that is working well together and, and then, you can maximize your right. possibilities. And then the other thing is, um, so you got this pool of all these different champions that are thrown in and mm-hmm. you're going to basically on your turn or, you know, everyone's at the same time got like five, you got five and you can pick which ones you want or you can spend two gold and you can go to the next roll. Okay. And when you buy champions, if you buy, th- if you get three of them, then they become like an elite champion. They become like a, a two-star champion, right? Right. And if you do that again, well, you got well, you got two two-star champions. If you do that a third time, now you've got a gold champion. Okay. Got it. So you and you, which you would like to get to the gold because it takes up less space on your on your. You only have so many slots in your on your field there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really want to like get the gold, and you also want to synergize. And um, the game is actually really, really deep. And it sounds. It sounds. It sounds like it's a a, a very interesting. Uh, you're looking for the most and the deepest combinations that you can yeah. get together. And once you set them out there, you're not playing those characters. It's they, they survive or die on their own, right? Right. And if you're really good during that time, mm-hmm. you're looking at all the other players mm-hmm. and you're seeing which champions are gone. So you may need to adjust your strategy because there's only a set amount of them. Interesting. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's really fascinating. So and I've been playing ranked. And so I'm at like gold too. You're Whatever. at gold too. Yeah. So, congratulations, Jack. Oh man, you know, uh, playing playing uh, Twilight Struggle with you online, I was starting to really worry about you and your <laughs> confidence. But I, I'm glad in in some other We're five realm. Five and five. What? We're five and five. If you count when when I had to forfeit. Yeah. Well, sure. I was I was going to win that game. You did actually forfeit recently, though, right? Twice. Yes. I had Twice. Two, I had, well, one I was I definitely going to win. The other one was up in the air. We didn't play that long. I don't know okay. what happened that one. Look, whatever you got to tell yourself to wake up in the morning, I think wow. it's wonderful. I think five, five, you had 45 days. Great. 45 days. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. I made fun of Maddie for forfeiting on a 45-day right. timer. I have to take that back. Maddie, uh, I'm a jerk. Yeah. I did it myself. I did it twice. I did it twice. Yeah. I was saying, how on earth could a human being not yeah. finish a two or three hour game over the span of 45 days and I've done it twice now. So, And, and deep down you know that Maddie was just scared probably, right? That's, uh, no, actually what it is is that they're they're so confident that they're going to win when they when they forfeit right. a game That's what it is. that they it just sort of slips their mind. They, they forgot that the game's not already over. How do I take this win away from Jess? I don't want him to have the satisfaction of actually be, oh, oh, you, oh, you won that one because I forfeited. No, it's more like in my mind I'm like, oh, I have checkmate in four moves. Okay, and, and in the back of my head, I've already won that game, and so I don't think to look on the server and see, oh, I still have. I didn't. I didn't actually do those four moves yet, so I wasn't quite done yet. I'm not sure if you're joking. If your brain actually convinced you that you were winning that game, <laughs> you were super losing that game. Actually, the games on my brain are the exact same as last week. They are 1862 and Food Chain Magnet Ketchup Expansion. Um, the food chain magnate is is absolutely destroying me in terms of the amount of my brain processing power. You know how you have uh, you have background processing on your computer where it's going to work on something <laughs> while you're doing something. Right. My background processing is overtaking mm. my 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 RAM. It's it's like just in, invading other parts. I'm sitting there writing the script that I need to finish and I need to turn in. And as I'm doing that, right in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, you know what? I think the luxuries manager might also pair really well with the rural marketer. All right. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Stop it. 
Stop it. Get back to work. Don't think about the don't think about the the rural marketer. Um, the the possibilities of these new cards and the possibilities of new combinations mm. and new strategies, and not strategies that are necessarily dominant, but strategies that can allow uh, different branches that are competitive with other branches where before there were more prescribed methods of of play and eventually the deviance from those norms were weeded out to some degree. Mm. Um, I think this game might have a lot more uh, longevity. I think it already hit. I mean, it already has as much longevity as you want. People play it all the time and they play it like crazy. I'm just really happy to get back to the table again and and to play it really, really hardcore. You think it's going to make your uh, 2020 top 10? Is it 2020? Yeah. Um, is it 2020? I'm not it sure. Have already I think it came you. out of the, I th- no, I think it did come out in, in 2019. Should have it on your speaking. list. Well, I hadn't played it yet, so you oh. can't really count it that way. Uh, it's an expansion too, so it's it's sort of in a different category, mm-hmm. but for sure in 2020 we'll be talking about the impact of this expansion, which yeah. is it was just pretty epic. And then 1862, I cannot wait to play more of this 18xx game. It is so deep. Um most 18xx games, the map is large and you're building track from this place all the way over to that place. In this map, it is tiny. Mm. It plays, you know, up to up to however many players, and every single spot on the map has either a town or a city on it. Every single spot. Mm. So there's no empty stretches. There's no place where you're going to build track that it isn't impacting somebody else. We are all we're all stuffed into a phone booth, and we've all been given switchblades, <laughs> and it's just like go, mm. fantastic, cool. can't wait. Uh, there'll, there'll be a review coming on that one too. We're going to do a quick update on the weight loss challenge. We are one month into our weight loss challenge. The goal is for us to lose nine percent of our body weight in three months, which means at this point we should each have lost. How many percent, Jesse? That's too much. I would have. I would have died. Three percent. We would have lost three percent. Yes. Yeah. Jesse. Jesse is still battling his bulimia, but we wish him well, <laughs> and we hope he does. We hope he does great in the future. I just don't fluctuate between. It's like one sixty-five, like maybe five pounds within that in my entire adult life. It's amazing. It's amazing. Good genes. I, well, well, I was a runner for almost my entire life. So eh, still good. I genes. kept telling my body, "Burn that fat." Burn that fat. So our update is this. Paul, as of this date, has lost 2%. Mm. Uh, the, goal, the goal is 3%. No, no, no. He Fail. said the goal is 3% a Fail. month. Yeah. But Paul said that he wasn't going to try even in the first month. That for him, he's going for body recomp. So he wants to, to put on muscle so that he, which is long term, is going to make a lot more sense, right? right. If you can do body re- recomposition as you lose weight, yeah. that muscle is going to continue to burn fat and is going to make it less likely that you're going to just regain oh, all that like, weight. He's back doing the again. engine strategy. A little bit. Yeah. He's doing the engine strategy. Uh, so he said that for his first, that he can lose the 9% no problem and he can lose it very, very quickly. So rather than torture himself and start losing too early, that he was going to more do body recomposition for the first month or so. So 2% is great for that strategy. I think yeah. he's in good shape. Uh, Trey is close to 5% lost. Wow. He's really he's really dropped. Now, I saw him 
uh, that that weigh-in was on Tuesday, and I have seen him eat quite a bit between then and now. So maybe he's no longer at the five percent, but uh, <laughs> no, he's 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 well on his way. He's he's ahead of the curve, and I think he's in in great shape. And every single one of the rest of us, we have all lost uh, or at or around three percent uh, body weight loss. Wow. So we're right on target wow. going forward. So, so far, everyone's on track. So far, no one's going to win any money. Except maybe Paul. But wow. Say a bit more. Wow, we might, yeah. we might, we might. What's your strategy? What's, hap- what's happening? What's your diet? And- well, um, so I'm doing a modified keto. Um, okay. Basically, I'm, I'm trying to do, as often as possible, a keto Mediterranean combo. Okay. So um, keto obviously is is very low carb and replacing all, all those carbs with fat. Mm-hmm. So medium, I do paleo. I know it very well. Medium protein. Um, the problem with that diet, or it can be for some people, is that cholesterol and, and other issues can creep up because what you end up doing is is you end up eating a lot of processed meats. You end, you end up eating a lot of uh, dairy and things like that mm. can, can creep into people's diets when they do that. Doing a Mediterranean version of that means that that fat you're going to be getting from olive oil, avocado, um, fish, and uh, mm-hmm. you know going up. Uh, poultry to some degree so less of the red meat and more of that and it's sort of just a healthier way of doing that um i also have told people that i, I have lyme disease so i'm on mm. antibiotics and mm. some of these antibiotics are very very it makes it very very hard to uh to lose weight it actually affects my my gut flora oh, okay. and uh, uh causes some issues with that so for that i am uh supplementing with uh, some some things that help with that there's a a diabetes drug called metformin. Mm. And metformin um, regulates blood sugar for people with diabetes, but there are a lot of people that are using it for life extension. And one of the reasons they're using it for life extension is that it changes the uh, gut flora Mm. in your stomach and uh, may increase your mitochondrial uh, usage. It may sort of energize your your cells in that area, um, which may help me counteract what the what the antibiotics are doing mm, okay. and may actually sort of put me more on a level playing field. Okay. Uh, and then the last thing I'm doing is my wife and I pretty much every day for a month now, uh, jump into our super cold pool, mm. sort of fluctuate between the tub, the hot tub and the pool. Yeah. So getting very hot, getting very cold, getting very hot, getting very cold. Um, when I went to visit my brother and we went up to Tahoe for the day, mm. we went to Lake Tahoe itself which yeah. is an alpine lake that currently has a lot of snow melt falling into it. Yeah. The current temperature of Lake Tahoe is 52 degrees. The current temperature of my pool is 52 degrees. Yeah. So no. every day I am jumping into Lake Tahoe. <laughs> yeah, can't do it. And we are spending like chill to the bone. 3 5 minutes in that water just freezing. Yeah. Just getting a getting three a three to five minutes. Yes. Yeah. See, I couldn't do that. We we, we 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 ramp it up. You you do one minute, then you do two minutes, then you do three minutes, and so on and so forth. To see how far you can get. Are you screaming? I, like I would a little I bit would scream in a panic. A like, little bit. Yeah. A little bit. It's extreme. Um, listen, there's there's a lot of evidence that shows that it can do some really great things. You know, there's another technique um, that sort of just came out sure. that you might want to try. Uh, it's called exercise. Really? I haven't heard any any examples of exercise. I, my, my gym is one block away. Okay. Right there. We didn't mention that. Okay. No, I 
I do it. I that that I've been that I do every. Uh, I do two to three days a week. Okay. You don't go to the gym. Yes, I do. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. So I do a variant of Occam's protocol. If you know Tim Ferriss and yeah. the, uh, the 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 five day before day body. Okay. Uh, I do a, a, a variant of Occam's protocol. Basically, a variant means you don't really do it. Well, uh, <laughs> no, I do more than what he suggests. Oh, okay. Because Occam's protocol says do one set. Okay. It says just do one set. Do these exercises. Do you know? Do the kettlebells. Do the chest press. Do this and that. Yeah, the other yeah. thing. Do these six things. And in ten minutes, you've got a like ninety percent of the workout that most people get in an hour. Right. That's that's the the protocol. It's like CrossFit kind of thing. A little bit. Yeah. 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 What I do is uh, I do two sets. And I do them slightly less intense than the one set mm. because I'm I'm worried about uh, injury. I had a I, I had a shoulder, uh, not a tear, right. but I had a shoulder problem uh, when I did the Occam's protocol about six months ago, mm. and so I figured that doing it a little less intense but doing two sets uh, works better for me. Right. Um, well, there's two there's two things that you can do by the way if you want to burn fat. Sure. As far as running goes, and sure. I know. Well, one of them is obvious. It's I, running. I do HIIT, right? High intensity oh, okay. interval training. Right. Uh, a little bit. Do you? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I do short bursts. Yeah. But I do, but I, I go, I, I set the treadmill on like eight or nine and I run for for about one minute at that and then I do two minutes uh, at at, th- at a three uh, and then I go back okay. up to eight. Yeah. And I try to do, I try to do that about four times. Right. right. I was going to say, so like if you go long distance, I want to say it's like, 13, 17 miles, I forget what the number is. Wow. That's when you start going to burning fat mode. Okay. Kind of thing. Not a lot of people can do that unless they're actually runners. I can't do that. Um, right. But but the other thing you can do is is similar to what you're talking about is you can go to a track mm-hmm. and you're you do the short bursts and you you basically sprint the hundred meters mm-hmm. and then you walk the curve. Sprint the hundred meters, walk the curve, and just do like four laps or something. And Oh interesting, because the hundred meters is literally the straight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you're oh, basically, great, uh, you are getting your body. It's kind of like the cold concept where yeah. you're basically getting your body to go, like, like burn fat, burn fat, burn fat. And then you can walk. So you can't obviously sustain that. And then you do it again. Yeah. You know? So you just, that's great. Like, turns, yeah. That's right. That. And, and you know what? I bet you there is a correlation between that and the, 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 the cryotherapy, yeah. which is essentially is what we're doing. That, that what you're doing is you're shocking the body out of its uh, stasis, right? Yeah. Your, your, your body wants to be in metabolic stasis as much as possible. It just tries to bring everything down and make everything normal and yeah. everything right. And the only way you really change things up is by shocking it out of that right. state. Yeah. That's great. That's great. It's like, it's all, it's all games, right? It, is. It, it all relates to what we're talking about. It is. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's game of fun. Yeah. No, listen, uh, these a lot of these people, you know, the Tim Ferriss of the world, they are quantifiers, right? Mm-hmm. They are writing down every single thing. What What is my waking blood pressure? What is my okay. What is my waking glucose level? What is my glucose level 15 minutes after I eat? They are quantifying all of that. They're looking for patterns, and they're essentially trying to game their own system. Yeah. Right? yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. All right. Taking up enough of your time with this nonsense. <laughs> Let us get to it. Let's get to our review of Blood on the Clock Tower. Tale of the Tape is Blood on the Clock Tower is a 2020 release. <laughs> we will see. But we hope it's a 2020 release. Right. The designer is uh, Stephen Medway. It plays 5 to 20 players. It takes from 3 to 120 minutes. I guess that's true. I guess there's there's some sometimes 3 minutes and it'll you'll just get lucky and you'll be right out. And the publisher is Pandemonium Institute 
and the weight is 2.90. What a hard game to wait. Jesse, tell us the nuts and bolts of what is Blood on the Clock Tower. Welcome to Ravenswood Bluff. <laughs> um, what, what, what era would you say this is supposed to be? Um, well, our storyteller uh, said it in the modern day. Our, our storyteller had, okay. you know, she did a great job. Trams and planes. Megan. She, she was Megan was Megan yeah. did a wonderful, wonderful job. Thank you, Megan, so much. <laughs> uh, you were a a gem. You were a fantastic storyteller, and you were a great introduction to this yeah. to, to this game and, and a real credit. Um, uh, so it could be said at any time. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the roles when you look at the roles of you know the washerwoman and things right. like that. You know, you think 18th century somewhere around there. You the know, fool and yeah, yeah. So I think 18th century. I think Salem witch trials. I think that era. I think somewhere yeah. in in that yeah. realm. So that's why I named myself Cornelius for the game. Oh yeah. Oh okay. You really thought that? Okay. Good. You know. Yeah. So, so this is um, if you're familiar with the sort of werewolf setup, it's, it's I guess it's most similar to that. But I do feel like this fixes a lot of those problems. Um, and this, you've got the uh, the good side is is c- comprised of the um, the townsfolk and the outsiders. So the outsiders are kind of like townsfolk, but they're little they're a little quirky. They, they they could come off as bad and and they could mess with your team and you could you, you know they mess things up. So and then we you, don't cut into strangers around here. Right. <laughs> and then you've got the evil team, which is comprised of one demon, which changes depending on which edition you're playing, and then his minions. Um, and you've got it, 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 there's two different phases in each round. Mm-hmm. You've got the uh, the night phase. The game starts with the night phase. Everyone goes to sleep. And uh, there's either silence or, in our case, we all talked in the middle of the night in our sleep to each other. Um, and the storyteller is walking around with her grimoire, and she's got all the different tokens that we've um, that we've assigned to us before the game. We the all grimoire is roll. made to look like a book, but what it really is, it's it's a fold open folder that has a felt bottom so that she can t- keep track and have a quick visual reference of exactly which role each player is playing. And she has reminders for herself. Remember tonight that you have to wake up this yeah. person so that they can do that, and you have to wake up this person and they can do that, and, right. and you go through your checklist of the various things. Because there are way more roles, way more special roles, and way more rules that go into the game for the storyteller to keep track of than even the more complicated versions of Werewolf. Yeah. Yeah, so I've I've played Werewolf with a bunch of roles, and but a lot of them are copies or just slight variants. But there are some really unique roles in this, mm-hmm. and depending on the edition, the dynamic is is very different. So so for instance, there's there's um, there's three editions right now. Um, there's the um, which are really three scenarios, really closer to right. It's just sort of like the types of roles that are in there. Like they chose these character roles to mix together in such yeah. a way. There's the easy, the medium, and the hard. This kind of yeah, the, yeah. The sort of intro one is trouble brewing. There's a lot of like forward information. So like some characters will be um, like uh, you know it'll typically say like you start knowing X like how many pairs of evil people are sitting next to each other one. Uh, okay, cool. So then, your first day, that person goes, "Hey guys, I know this information," and 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 you would want to tell people this, like you know, the the good team doesn't have information; they would need to share that. But if you have an ongoing power, like um, you know, each night you get to check so and so and see if they're evil or this and that, or how many times they've woken up, you may not want to let people know that you have this ability because then you become a target for the for the demon. Um, 
And uh, who were you the first game? Well, let's oh. talk about the first game. Let's yeah. talk about what happened in the first game. So the first game, we all close our eyes. We go around. The storyteller is tapping people on the knee and giving them the information they want. Wake up. And our very first conversation is, uh, well, okay, so who looks suspicious? Who should we kill? Who has any information to share? There were a couple people that had a little bit of information to share. Um, probably a newbie mistake, but there were probably a couple more people that should have shared information that they didn't share right. at, at, at the beginning. And then we got down to, hey, guess what? This is like a game of werewolf, so you're going to have to pick somebody to accuse, to put on trial, and to potentially uh, murder. Yeah, we didn't we didn't mention that part. So like, there's the night phase, right? And then we we all wake up, mm-hmm. and then we have the day phase. And then like werewolf, we're going to be talking and like who's what, and blah, blah blah blah. He had a, he has a weird look on his face. He yes. was saying this to him, blah blah blah. And then you can execute somebody. So somebody's more likely somebody's going to die at night, probably by the demon. Yes. And during the day. It's the townsfolk's job to weed out, like, you know, who's good, who's bad, and start killing. That's the only way you're going to kill the demon. So yes. you got to execute, and you may be executing your own people. And the first person that was suggested that they should kill was me. Me. <laughs> me. Well, we all joked about killing you. <laughs> right. I was the We example. always joke about killing you. Right. Uh, but no, the first person that was actually, like, like put forward was, uh, was me. And my defense, because you, you the, the person who accuses gets to say their, their bit about why to accuse you. Uh, and that was Dimitri. And Dimitri said, if we don't kill Tom now, you, this may be our only chance. We have to kill him. He's so untrustworthy. Right. Uh, then it comes to me for my defense. And my defense was, I am the most, the most often the first person killed in these games. I am also the most often second person killed in these games. And I am definitely the most often third person killed. You're going to have many, many opportunities to kill me. Don't rush it. Don't right, rush right. it. Just ease into it. And let's see who who is acting shifty. And let's figure that out. And I survived that first round. And the first round, uh, Aaron was killed because he claimed to be the same role that somebody else was claiming. There were right. two people claiming that they were the saint. Right. Wait, 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 we'll get to that because I, I was involved in that. Yes, yes, right? yes. But I want to talk about the, uh, the idea of being killed in the first round. Yes. Which is so frustrating in mm. Werewolf because I played 40-person game, Strategicon, Midnight. Sure. And first round, some guy, I don't know him, sitting across the way. He goes, um, I nominate that guy. I'm like, hi. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was like, I really don't even know what to say. Like, like, why? Why would he? He's like, you just have like, I don't know. You you seem guilty. I'm like, okay, cool. It's fair. Uh, that is you fair. You kill Jesse. me if you want, and they you did. have resting guilty face. I, know. I just want I, you fair, to know you do. Fair. And then they killed me, and I was like, wow, that actually happened, and I'm out of the game. Yes, forty people. And I'm done. Now, in that's Blood on the Clock game, Tower, you are different. not out of the yeah. game. The dead can tell tales. Yeah. The dead can talk. The dead can say what they know. They can say what they suspect. The only thing they can't really do, uh, there are two things they can't do. They cannot nominate people to be executed. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. The second thing is once they're dead, they have one vote remaining for the entire game. One time they can reach from beyond the grave and vote to, to, uh, to execute somebody. The living people get to vote every single time. Their their abilities don't work. Oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah. That's true too. <laughs> Most important part. Yeah, I guess that's. I, I yeah. guess I guess that is. But, but I'm, I'm just mean in terms like of the in terms of the social part of the game, which is the main part of the game. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot that you can still uh, partake in. There's a yeah. lot of things that you yeah. can do, which is a major, major. It cannot be stated highly enough. It's a major improvement over Werewolf, yeah. which has. Uh, 
player elimination issues up the wazoo. It's yeah. an amazing werewolf is an amazing game, but it it does suffer from this, and especially since the least amount of information people have is in the very first round, which means somebody is getting the shaft first round. Somebody is getting eliminated from the game based yeah. on very very little. Right. Right. In Jesse's case, just that nobody ever trusts Jesse, which is absolutely <laughs> or you is absolutely. I, I yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, understand. not because they don't trust me, but because of that, that I'm, I'm dangerous. I'm a threat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and well, the other thing about um, like a game like Werewolf, it's like okay, uh, we're gonna have a werewolf party, eight o'clock. Be it, be there on time, and then we start. Somebody shows up at eight thirty. Hey, I'm ready, guys. No, sorry, it's gonna be a couple hours, three, two or three hours until we finish this. Right. But in this game, they have travelers, which I, I don't yes. think you saw. We didn't see because we didn't have somebody that, that yeah. we had a person that came in, but they wanted to observe for a little bit instead of play. And because a really interesting thing that they also introduced in this game is that the storyteller, the narrator, whatever, has a role. Like they are, they can actually influence the game. And this is, I think, this is actually important. Like it's cool that this this traveler player can come in and if the storyteller sees that one side is losing a lot they can balance the game out with a with a traveler they don't tell basically make the traveler a good player and this right. and it has this, it has this ability um if a group of people come in then you know maybe one is evil and a couple are good or whatever the balance may need to be um and it doesn't it's like it's like it's not that it's unfair because I, th- I just I think it really works because really we're trying to tell a story we want to have a good time we want it to be we're gonna have a discussion about fair right what does fair mean in this kind of game yeah. is that important and if it is important what does this game say about that mm-hmm. right because I think it's, it's a very interesting right, topic right. but let's keep on going so uh, the first person killed was Aaron Aaron was killed because um, Somebody said... I was the librarian. Yes, you you were the librarian. And another player said, I saw something at night, and I know that one of these two people is the librarian. You or... Yeah, I start knowing that one of two people... I was a librarian. I start knowing that one of two people is is an outsider, is is the saint in this case. Mm -hmm. Um, And the saint is if they're killed... Then the if they're killed by the if by they're killed execution. by execution if they're executed by the townspeople then the good townspeople lose that's right um, and so I this is a, a you start knowing this information and typically you share it because I don't have an ability beyond this but if I get killed for some reason I can always share this so I decided I was going to wait a little bit and see if either of the two saints <laughs> the suspected saints because one is true and one is false right okay um, actually. Let, I have to tell you this. That's not true. Because there's there's three different states. You could be here. drunk. You could be drunk. Like there's a drunk character. And that character is shown a different token. So Jesse could have been shown the librarian token, but in reality, he is the drunk. Right. He only thinks he's the librarian. Yep. In reality, he has no powers whatsoever. He is imagining that that one of these two people is a saint and that he's getting this divine thing when he's really on a bender. So you're, you're if you're drunk, your abilities just don't work the entire game. But and there's you, another thing called poison, yeah. which bad guys sometimes have the ability to poison. And when they poison somebody, that person's special ability misfires and doesn't, for a day, for 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 one night, yeah. doesn't for doesn't, one night and the full next day. Correct. Doesn't do what it's doesn't do what it's supposed to do, which can throw a real wrench into right. our deductive uh, puzzle that we have we have created. Right. Right. But just the existence. The, the possibility that there's a drunk 
is super important for this game. Yes. If we had perfect knowledge, it'd be way too easy. Yes. Um, so you don't have to play with a drunk token all the time, but I think that, you know, just knowing that it's possible is, is, is essential, I think. So let's fast forward a little bit because we, we have two games to talk about because we did two, uh, two of these in a row. Uh, in the first game, the first person eliminated was Aaron. Aaron was eliminated because he claimed to be the saint and there was another person that claimed to be the saint and they figured out that that guy ain't the saint. And so he was executed and the village didn't immediately lose the game, so he was not the saint. So yay, good guys killed him. Right. Uh, then we uh, then uh, night fell, and somebody was horribly murdered. I can't remember who the first person horribly murdered at night was. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Oh, uh, I remember it was your friend, Mike. He, he died for Michael. Okay. Yes. All right. Michael. Michael, Michael died first. Okay. Yes. Um, then the next day, bitter recriminations, accusations, left and right and center. And was it Elder was killed second? Something no. Something along those lines? No? Mm-mm. Was it Dimitri? It was almost Dimitri because they were like, oh, I think we would need to kill Dimitri, but just in case he is is somebody special. Well, the time that Dimitri was supposedly killed, he wasn't killed. That was a mistake. And that was when Michael died. Yes. So I actually think there might have been one other person before when we're talking about. No, no, no. That was that was my, that okay. was the very first one. That was All the right. very first one. It was Michael, uh, but no, Dimitri was was killed in the second round by the villagers mm-hmm. because he was acting really shady, yep. really really shady. And then everyone was like, "Did we get him? I think we got him. Okay. I think we got him." Hope oh, the game's going on. We didn't get him. Yeah. And one by one, these poor little villagers were being knocked off. Oh, and I was starting to get suspicious of you, by the way. You were getting suspicious of me. Oh yeah. Why are we getting suspicious and of me? Right when I was at the peak of that, you turned to me and you go, what do you think of Elder? And I was thinking, oh yeah, Tom's it. And I go, what do you think of Elder? And you're like, well, he's been doing this and that. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, oh, this is interesting. Tom is really, now he's really like clicking that. <laughs> that radar is going off. Really? Yeah, but I wanted to see. And yet, who did we kill? Um, did he get killed? I know, somebody else jumped on that bandwagon. Oh, we killed Elder. Yeah. We killed him dead. Yeah. And then uh, after that, then you and somebody else accused me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. And uh, what happened there? You did uh, not kill me. Yeah, why not? Why? Because I had a great defense. I had a super good defense. I was like, no, no, no. Look. Look at what's going on. They voted They voted for me and we only two people. Votes? No, we didn't get enough votes. That's only right. two people voted for me one and one of them was Aaron. The very first guy killed, the super sketchy guy that claimed he was the saint and was not the saint, voted from beyond the grave to kill me. And I said, look, check that out. Okay? Wait, so it was just that me and bad Aaron? bad guy. Yes. Okay. It was just the two of you. Mm. Right? Didn't get killed. Right. The other guy got killed. And then, then my luck ran out. Right. Then finally... Everybody said there's only there's only three of us, four of us left. There's four of us left. There's four of us left. Last chance. If we do not pick the demon, the demon wins because the demon will kill the other one at the night and then the game is over because there's only a demon and one human left and a human can never beat a demon by himself. Right. Last chance. And that's when everyone finally listened to Jesse and said, "Uh, you know what? We were going to kill Tom for the, at the very first thing. And now two hours later, let's kill Tom finally. And just because just if, if that's how we lose, then that's how we, that, that'd be a terrible thing. Yep. And so they killed me. And I was indeed the demon. Yep. And had been all along. <laughs> kill, 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 kill. The best thing that was working for you was Trey being um, drunk. drunk because he told us that there was one pair 
of um there were two bad bad guys guys. that were sitting next to each other trey Trey thought that he knew that there were two bad guys sitting next to each other and in fact he was the drunk and didn't know anything yeah and because of that false bit of information which i milked this way i'm like look if i'm if i'm a bad guy that means that jesse's a bad guy i'm not sure i think jesse's the bad guy (laughs) right i don't think that that doesn't make much sense uh so very interesting first game then for the second game we said to our poor storyteller, can we try a different scenario? And she was like, well, I haven't played the medium scenario. Right. I know the hard scenario. And we yeah. started looking at the hard scenario, and everyone was like, whoa, this is too much. So so, so, quick overview, though. Of these. Sure. So Trouble Brewing, again, is the intro, right? Then there's Bad Moon Rising, and that is like, that is murder kill, like lots of death, and lots of saving, and reviving. Yes. Okay? And then Sex... As in your girlfriend sect. had a had a free revive power and she never revived anybody. Really? Yep. Whoa, what do you mean? We didn't. That was her we power. We didn't play that one though. What? Oh, we actually did go back. What am I saying? We did go back and play that. Yes, we did. I didn't know. I actually didn't know what her ability was. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then we have. I was the, telling her to do it, and she was like, "No, I think I'm good." Like, does she have one revive? Yeah. Oh well, she's got to save it for a good revive. Mm. She, well, she waited too long. Yes, she did. So the third one is sex, sex. And violets. S-E-C-T-S and V-I-O-L-E-T-S. Yeah, like flowers. And very clever. And that is a really like complicated, like not information forward. People get a lot of information, but it's like ongoing powers. And that is really about like you got to lean forward and communicate. And there's so many different things going on. And they introduce a new rule, which is so you got the drunk, you got the poison. Here's another condition. Madness. Okay, so if and we didn't, you guys get, didn't get to see this in action, but there are characters that can make you mad, and what that means is, um, let's say that you're mad to be, if you're mixing roles, but let's just say you're mad to be the saint. You need to convince people, no matter what you were saying before and rounds before. If at any point during the during this time uh, on this particular day that you were mad about being a saint, you must convince everybody that you are the saint. Even if you were saying, "I'm I'm the tinker, I am this," da da da, da. and then you're, if you're mad to be the saint, guys, there's a reason I had to tell you I was a tinker and say whatever you're going to say. But now you must convince people that you are the saint. And if people go, um, "Are you are you mad right now?" You can't go no. I mean, you can't you you can't say yes, I am mad because then. What can happen is the storyteller at, at their discretion can just kill you. Mm. And when I ran this game, I was just, you know, I was waiting for them. Like somebody was saying uh, they were mad about some role. And then um, they said, oh, you know what you were talking about the other day about the madness thing? Because, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, and then they shrug and I'm like, okay, you're dead. You, <laughs> Which you, brings up an interesting point because some of you might be listening and saying, wait, so... The storyteller is basically the GM can just kill you and that's it. Your game is your your game is over. Some people that's going to rub the wrong way. That is not going to be for everybody sure. for, for this sort of thing. Let me tell you what my role was in the second round. Yep. I was the tinker. Do you want to know what my special power was? You could die at any moment. That's literally all it says. Yeah. So I go to the storyteller <laughs> and I go, um, hey, a little, little clarification on this one. First of all, doesn't seem like a power. Second of all, <laughs> they're not always powers. They're could, just, uh, just, you know, just a little clarity. What does this mean when you could die at any moment? Because, you know, in the Jungian sense, we could all die at any moment. Um, we are all dying. Uh, you know, and certainly in this game, anyone could die at any moment. 
what's different about me? She goes, oh, I can just decide when to kill you. I said, ah, lovely. Uh, let's see. And listen, I will they tell you, a lot of fun. there's a lot of people that would look at that and not enjoy it. I made a meal out of it. I, I kept talking about yeah. my medical condition. <laughs> I kept saying that, look, just let my let my candle that is burning half as long burn twice as bright. All right, just totally. Just give me a little time. I just I want to do something good before I go out. Okay, there's a there's a blood clot right at the base of my neck, and at any second now, boom, it's 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 gonna be over for me. And does anybody have any morphine? And we would and we, we would like turn after turn as I didn't die. We would we would go on, and and I I I, uh, I role played it, and we had a lot of fun with it. So I and really that's what you do, right? And it's important. Like and, and not everybody has like the same equal weight. It's not about that. You are ta- people in a town and some people are, are blessed with, you know. Yeah, well, b- basic blue, as we say in, in, in Avalon. The, you know, being just a normal townsperson that doesn't know anything is a powerful role because you are the person that has to figure things out on your own. And there's and there's a, a good mystery to that. Um, being the guy that could die at any moment by GM Fiat, less so. Now, because this game, death doesn't knock you out completely, you still participate in two-thirds of the game or three-quarters of the game. In my case, since I didn't have a power at all, what does killing me really do except mean that I can only vote one more time? And by the way, you can claim to be whatever you want. So somebody could claim that, to be the tanker. And, and um, But but the mo- most importantly, because um, it's not about your individual roles, it's about the dynamic of the game. The fact that we know that a tinker exists is important, especially in this um, in the in the Bad Moon Rising which uh, again, I, that is all about killing, there's a lot of death and a lot of reviving. And there are sometimes, like for instance, there's a, a, a demon character called, uh, I believe it's Poe. And um, they could he, choose to not kill one right. night and then they get to kill three people the next night. Right. So if there wasn't a death, you might go, oh, I think Poe's in play. Right. I, but yeah. there could be saving people, but the tinker exists and maybe somebody did die. That night, so that's a way of like, or the other way around, actually. Maybe right, maybe like what happened was, um, I died one night, right, and I said, I think I died of natural causes, being because I'm the tinker. I think Poe is in play. I think Poe is Trey. We should kill Trey. Right, (laughs) right, and really happens. Everyone agreed, and we killed Trey. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. Did we actually? Did the game go on? Yes, the game went on. Why so did the like, game uh, go on? That's so weird. Oh, oh, it was because I was the mastermind. That's correct. It's because you were the were the apprentice bad guy. You were the, the minion. minion. And my ability is, if my demon dies, there's always just one demon. I'm serving him. Our group of minions are. If my demon dies, then the game goes on for one more round. And if somebody is then executed during the day, that that player's like team loses whoever was executed. So Which my, I have uh, a problem with. <laughs> why? What? You have a problem with that? Yes, I do. I think that's a bad role. Oh, why? I think it's a bad decision. Because what you're saying is, is you're saying that people that don't know whether or not a demon was killed, we have no way of knowing whether or not Trey was actually a demon. We had we had a hunch. We had evidence to support that hunch, but we didn't have any surety. And we certainly didn't have any surety that he was the demon as opposed to one of the minions. Mm-hmm. We had no clue about that. So at any given point, anybody we kill 
Because we never have perfect information in this game, especially a game like right. this where there are poisonings, where there's madness, where there's all this stuff going on. It is impossible to know for sure who you've killed. What you're saying with when you have a mastermind in the game is given all of this incomplete information, anytime you kill somebody, the next round you have to not kill somebody, otherwise you can instantly lose the game in case you happen to have killed the demon that round and in case there happens to be a mastermind in the game that round. That's draconian, that's ridiculous. You, the things you would need to do to avoid that would lose you the game. Why? Because you would end up having to, every time you execute somebody, the next round not execute anybody to avoid the mastermind win. Unless you know how many minions are in play already. No, that, that, that doesn't help. There's tons of minions. So you, you, there could be a mastermind that could not be but a you mastermind. But know you know there's two minions. So if you there were three, actually, in that game. There's three in that game? Yes. Okay, well, regardless, you know how many minions there are in play. How? Because it tells you at the beginning of the game, there's 12 players, so there's... You know, but you saw that, right? Yeah, but there, there ended up being three minions. I don't know how there was. A third well, there minion. might have been again. There's roles that will mess with things and be like that will add an extra minion. Once again, we don't, but we right. don't know what but roles are in place, so we don't out, have that number. No, but it, no, you don't. Okay, you do. The problem, That's the whole part. Of, that is the actually the look, whole game. I get it, but it doesn't. It doesn't help. What I'm saying is, is that we have no idea whether or not there's a mastermind in play. Right. If there is a mastermind in play, every time we kill somebody, what are the odds we've just killed the demon? Right. right. <clears throat> you don't know. We don't know. I mean, certainly, you are never going to get beyond 80% certainty for any of these that you killed the demon as opposed right. to a minion, as opposed to somebody that was just acting shady or an outsider or somebody that was uh, that was mad. Mm -hmm. You're never going to know. So in each of those circumstances, you're betting 80% chance, like, am I going to, are we going to murder somebody the next day or not? If we, every other turn, choose not to murder somebody, Right. The demons win. Right. They're going to win. There's no right. way we can we can survive giving up that many opportunities. But also so you, if you if you if you murder a bad guy, you'll still win. Uh yeah, which by the way was not clear and was not written in the that's not in the description. It's not totally that's, clear. Not, that's not in, that's not It's the still rules. a prototype. He's fixed a lot of the wording of things, but Good. So let's let's get it. We're, we're we're already kind of getting into it. Let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. Let's talk about where where this game shines and where it doesn't. If you like social deduction games, if you like the werewolf genre, okay, this takes the genre from dinner theater to grand opera. It really does. Mm. It uh, expands it. It it sings in a way that even werewolf with a lot of very interesting roles and a lot of things happening in that game, it 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 takes it a step beyond that. You have a list of the potential people that are in the game. And there's a lot of deduction and a lot of information that can be going on. There's also a lot of double bluffing and a lot of uh, 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 situations in which what we thought we knew, we don't necessarily know anymore because this could have happened and that could have happened. But it really does take Werewolf to another level and make a game that feels grand. It feels like you're telling a bigger story. It feels like you're not just doing a tiny little episode and every game is similar. It feels like it makes yeah. really different games. That's number one. Uh, second thing, uh, Dead Man Can Talk is uh, huge. That's probably, if there's one thing that is the most different about this game, it's that getting killed does not eliminate you from the game. Matter of fact, you are almost as important in the game as you were when you were alive. That's huge. Yeah. It cannot be overstated how, how huge that is, right? 
Um, you have an active storyteller that is making choices, that is tuning the game as the game goes on. Now, you like that? That's there's it's a double edged sword, right? There's pluses and minuses to it, right? So, I would say this: it, it takes a rethinking of what the game is mm-hmm. in order to do that. I would say that in Werewolf, the storyteller is the ref. They are not a DM. Mm-hmm. They are not creating things. Right. Right. They are a referee, mm-hmm. right? They are to make the things that are have to happen by game rule happen. Right. In this, they are a DM. They are uh, they're noticing that the good guys are doing too good. Let's throw a little wrinkle in there, right? They are they're, they're trying to balance and make the make the story play out right. the best. Right. It also gives something for the storyteller to do for somebody who's sure. running a werewolf game they're like oh god i'm gonna do it okay so i can't play now like i, I agree I, I, what, I what agree. we haven't mentioned is um i so i backed this last year mm-hmm. and when we started the podcast i was like you know what i want to do blood and the clock tower for my second review yeah. so i want to get it i want to get a copy of this game so i emailed i emailed the designers and i said you know that that very thing and i didn't hear from them until about a month and a half ago. And they said, sorry, it took us so long. You know, we were traveling and all this thing, sure, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But um, yeah, so um, we've got the LA rep out there, which was Megan. And mm-hmm. we have this prototype at the very least. Like, you know, maybe, maybe she can like run some games for you. But, you know, maybe at the very least we could let you borrow the prototype, which they did. And I brought it for like a month or so. And and I ran a bunch of games. But before then, I've, I w- I've been doing a print and play. I, yeah. I made my own grimoire. I made my own tokens. <laughs> I put felt on the on, on everything. And, um, Dude. so I've been running, do you know this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, been, this, I've yeah. been running this for, for a while and people are just like, like loving it. Like I, I, I dig it. I, it, it is, it is so deep. Like I, I think it, it does. It takes werewolf to another level. It is, I will say it's not as accessible. So like, if you just want to have like sit around a table and play like secret Hitler or Avalon, mm-hmm. like that's not what this is. This is like, uh, it is. It's it's it. You, there's a little bit of onboarding. When I was teaching it, I went through every single role and told you what was possible. Mm. That's not what Megan did, and I actually I like that. I, I think there was a, we could have gotten a little more rules from her. Like I knew all the rules, but not every sure. everybody knew what was certain dynamics. I think they should have been told. She did okay because the, this was not your average group of people sitting around. These are not people that have only played parlor games. Yeah. The vast majority of us are gamers, yeah, and yeah. so we could read this, and for the most part, with a few small exceptions, for the most part, grok exactly what was going on. And, and, and there's a script that she has that says, like, this is how you sort of say intro the game. Right. But, like, one thing, I don't know if this is in the script, but an important dynamic that people only realized after playing the game for a little bit was that the the demon, uh, the imp in the first case, um, is shown the first night, shown three roles that are not in play. Yes. So they can claim to be these roles. Which is great. That's a fantastic addition. And something to the that game. people should know. Yes. Which, by the way, I pulled Trey aside in the second game and said, What's available? Like, what is, you know? And so he told me the gambler. And then I went and sat back down. And again, I was the mastermind, but I went and, and sat back down. And as soon as I sit down, Michael's on my left and he goes, you know, what's a really cool role is that gambler. And he goes, that'd be great because I'm the pacifist and somebody should check me. And I'm like, what was that? <laughs> so then... And by the way, right then was when I said, I saw Trey and Jesse talking. I, uh, they are not talking to any other good guys. They were only talking to each true. other. 
I was talking to other people, and he was also talking to other people. I said, I think they're both bad guys. I think, Trey's, right. I think Trey's the demon. And I was like, boom. Well, because at the in that game, Dimitri uh, immediately goes, all right, well, let's look. Put them on the chopping block. You know, and he, he's like, <laughs> prove who you are, you know. And then, like, and somebody, an elder, outed himself because he was trying to say, hey, I'm good, and this is what I, and then he got killed. Because he had a, on, a great ongoing power. Yes, he Whoops, did. Dimitri. But we did, if Dimitri was right, and he was, there's two good people out. And then uh, who was sitting on your left, he had an ability, basically, they, if, if two good people are on your uh, flanking you, yes. then they can't die. Yes. And so he's like, let's test this. And uh, he, you know, he pulled you aside and Alex, and, you, and he's like, hey, we know three more good people. And so I'm like, shit, something's got to happen here. Yeah, we were yeah. in good shape. We are yeah. in good shape. Um, let's talk about a couple more strengths because I'm not, I'm not quite done with that list yet. Yeah. Uh, there are multiple scenarios. There are multiple scenarios. There are three that come with it, and they've developed another three more or something along those yeah. lines that, they're, that they've Four got five, ready, think, something yeah. like that, which is great. And there's a scripting tool online. That was my next point. Yeah. You can make your own combos. Yeah. You can go to their website. And you can choose, pick and choose the menu of roles that you want to have played. And it will get make you, you can make a PDF out of it right there on the site, yep. which will give sort of a handout to people where it shows you what the roles are. And it has a side which is for the storyteller, which is sort of a cheat sheet of what the storyteller has to do the first night and what the storyteller has to check through every other night, yeah. which is phenomenal. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing uh, advantage to this game in in a very very complex game a storyteller has a hard hard job yeah and they are doing the right things to support that job and to make it manageable which is key to spreading this game yeah and by the way that that scripting tool was just made originally internally for you know some vets people who, who know the game really well and um there is an order for, for, for to do each thing depending on which roles are in there and this was a hierarchy sure uh, even from from addition to addition and uh, this cheat sheet says on the first night because there's the first night and then there's the other night so the first night these roles are going to go in this order and then you flip the sheet over and these and then these ones are going to go every other night but I wish that the scripting tool offered like the instructions that would yeah. come with the game. If, if you're sticking to one edition, then you've got all the roles. You put reminder tokens of, of which roles are in play, and it tells you the instructions. Not not just what the character does, but the instructions and what they do, what the storyteller needs to do. Yep. Like this person needs to point to you know two people and blah, blah, blah. So you go, okay, got it. It'll move the game faster. So I wish the scripting tool printed that. Instead of making it like... Um, they have it on one page the first night, and then you flip it over, and that's the other night. Mm-hmm. I wish they did printed two pages so they could have the whole first night and, and the full line of instruction. They don't have the full line because they would run into each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wish they did. That's one change I wish they made because I think it's a great tool. I agree with that. Okay, so let's talk about weaknesses now. Um, when I first heard about this game, and I heard people raving about it, when Shut Up and Sit Down was about to do their review of it, I thought to myself, this sounds like Werewolf. It, it just sounds like a gussied up werewolf. Is it just a gussied up werewolf? And shut up and sit down and said, nope, no, it's not. No, this is its own thing. This is totally different. This is so much better. I don't entirely agree with that. I do think it is like a really expertly run werewolf game with a lot of different roles. And there are a lot of roles in werewolf. I mean, Ted Alsbach's uh, Ultimate Werewolf. It's got tons and tons of things. If you put together some of the more complex roles and organize them well, 
you have something that is not all that different than Blood on the Clock Tower, with the exception of the player elimination problem, which is fantastically solved in this. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the way Blood on the Clock Tower is put together, it has done the work for you in terms of organizing this well, which is another huge addition. Uh, so it is it, it's still werewolf. It is still, the, the bones of the game are still werewolf. It's werewolf with a couple rule changes and rule additions that make it better. Uh, that's the that's the first weakness I would say is that it's not as it's not quite as different as some people have been claiming. It's kind of like saying like Avalon and Secret Hitler. It's just that's just Secret Hitler. Avalon's just Secret Hitler, or Secret Hitler's just Avalon, or well, Resistance. Avalon, Avalon, or Resistance. Yes, right. I agree. I, I totally agree with that. Right. Okay, I but think I, they, I think they are basically the same game. Um, which we could probably say the same thing about a lot of these like Euro games too. We could say, oh, this is basically you know, fill in the blank, whatever. Well, it's like, no, but this is a little bit different because no, this is different dynamic and it does this and this. Like, it it doesn't have that many different things to it. it. It the the player elimination solution is the main difference, and then after that, it's the only difference after that point is the amount of GM fiat there is, the amount the the GM can change things up, and the amount of different roles. That's it, and um, and and ultimate ultimate werewolf has tons of different roles, so it's not really necessarily different. I would say play the game more. Yeah. I think there's 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 a lot of dynamic things that you're not even aware of. That and, could be. Um, and that and could be, and yeah. I I wish we had done it like uh, three times. Like I wish we had played the same role or the like the same edition uh-huh. twice to kind of see how that works, and you see how the dynamic plays in, and then. But I know you also want to see other editions too. But you know, sure. I thought I thought it was important to to try more than one scenario to get a to get a better review of this. Uh, the second thing I'm going to say is a weakness is the active storyteller cuts both ways. Uh, it is it makes the game a better experience to have an active storyteller that can put their finger on the scales and tip things this way and that way, but. It makes it a it, it makes it a better experience in a worse game. I'm gonna I'm gonna counter that a little bit because Go. and I, I guess I no you said that right a better experience in a in a worse game and I think that yes. this is leaning into the experience. I agree. Okay, and then Werewolf. One of the other things that's broken is when one side is super winning and it's just a matter of time before the game ends. Yep, it's not. It's not interesting anymore. I mean, it, it tends to make the game shorter, too. So so this fixes that problem as well. Yeah, yeah. But people have to know what they're getting into. For some people, that's going to be... Like, my tinker role. Uh, I am basically a GM pawn. Right? I don't really have... I could be killed at any point, and the GM is going to choose to kill me when it is going to best balance the game. So I that takes ostensibly one of the major things I do in the game is 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 live or die that's taken out of my my purview and now I am essentially an NPC in the story now not entirely because the dead can speak and I can still do things and obviously I jumped in with both feet and had a fun time playing it I really enjoyed playing the tinker role but uh, I am uh, not everybody is me there are plenty of people like a first-time player that got a that got the tinker role uh, might have a problem with that. Might feel very. Might feel very put out. Put out. If, I think your mastermind role. I think is flat out broken for the reasons that for re- the reasons that I already said. I, I think that. Look, by the way, this is a an ambitious, ambitious project. This is huge, and for there to be so many different roles, and so many different roles that are working in combination with other roles, 
I think that um, playtesting and balance of this is a very tough thing to do. And just because the GM can step in and put their finger on the scales does not mean that, uh, let me put it a different way. You can mask a lot of flaws in a game's design if a GM can come in and rebalance things on the fly. You can make, you can cover up a lot of things that should have been dealt with in the design by doing that. Mm. And that's a worry. I think that Mastermind is, should not be in, in games. I don't think it makes sense to be in, in games. I think it's a problem. And I think there might be more roles that are like that. And I think the reason that that exists right now and has survived thus far is because the storyteller has a lot of fiat, has a lot of ability to affect things and to balance things and, and to change things up. And that's going to actually hurt the design of the game to some degree. Because ideally, the best experience of this, the best experience of this would be when the game is going to play wonderfully without the GM intervening, right? Mm-hmm. Without the GM putting their finger on the I've scales. Played, I've run plenty of games where I didn't affect anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, 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 like, I like the idea that the GM can. I like the freedom that the GM can. I like the fact that it puts it into a storytelling realm more than a game realm, mm-hmm. right? And it's an experiential thing more than it is a, a, a game. But it has to be both because the only game we're playing is figuring out who the bad guys are or, conversely, staying hidden until we can destroy this town. Mm-hmm. And that, and no matter how great the experience is, if that erodes away, you're you're it's it's a net loss. It's going to be a net loss. From that so to point. me, it's like it, it's that flow thing of like keeping the challenge matching your skill mm-hmm. kind of thing. It, it, I think it helps keep the flow because if you're just dominating, it's just now it's just inevitable. Let's just end this game. But I I, I feel like just that dynamic alone keeps every game interesting and I, I don't think that anybody's ever really felt cheated they may have felt like oh you add this traveler and it did this and it's like oh man it made it so tough <laughs> but people didn't get upset like and i i understand like you're looking at this i mean like oh the mastermind is this and that and 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 by the way he's fixed he's done steven has done so much to this and i don't know he's got a whole list of things okay. on the site um he may have changed the mastermind i don't know um i understand your reservations about it but I also don't think of this so much as a like when I judge a game and like how are all the mechanics working and like is this game balanced like that. This is a fun. They're, they do a lot of things yeah. that are flavor and it's an experience. Sure. And I love ex- and I love experiences. Um, I do too. I do too. I, I guess if uh, I may not have been as clear as I could be, so let me put it in the in the clearest way I can. The ideal. The absolute ideal that you could do for this kind of game for me would be to have a game in which the roles are as complicated as they are now, but are balanced very, very well. So that when you when you play this game at whatever player count you play it at, that the GM will have to do the most minimal amount of tweaking to the game and let it play on its own because then your experience is going to be amazing and the game is going to be amazing. Both of them are going to be amazing because it has played out the way it was supposed to play out and the choices that you have made have 
have been balanced to the degree that one mistake by the the bad guys isn't going to end yeah. it for the bad guys. One lucky break for the good guys isn't isn't going to end it for them. And there's balance, yeah. and it's close. Uh, the the reason that I'm I'm being critical of the game is because I think they're really onto something here, and I yeah. think it's really close. And I want them to 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 drill down and figure that out. So, end verdict for you. Obviously, you have swallowed the Kool Aid. You you have your own yeah, oh, you have yeah. your own play test. The, you have your own bloody play, bloody Kool Aid set, uh, set, and uh, you, you love it. You're a, you're a true convert. I yes? think it's great. Yeah, this will be in my if it comes out in 2020. I, I know it will. I hope so. Uh, it'll it'll definitely be somewhere in my top ten. Probably pretty pretty high. Well, I will say this. I have uh, we stopped playing it uh, 12 hours ago, <laughs> and I got about six hours of sleep, and I've been thinking about this for six hours. Like, what is my verdict on this game? Mm. Where do I come down? Uh, and this is my verdict. Uh, this is not a perfect game. This game has a few issues, a few things that, that uh, for me and for my style of play and what I'm, what I'm looking for are, uh, are potential problem areas. I don't think this game has problems per se, but it has problem areas, which is different. But it also has so many possibilities. It has so many more possibilities than any game of this ilk. Uh, for me, I have played Werewolf hundreds of hours. Um, at Gen Con, I ran a very popular Werewolf game where, you know, I, I would do my thing and I would be, you know, I, I would, each person would suddenly, all the normal people that have no special role, I'd give them a job in the town and name and we'd just mm -hmm. embellish and we'd tell whole stories and I'd have them act things out and stuff. And we, we just turned it into kind of a little something like what this is, yeah. but without the rules benefit. So I'm huge into werewolf. My family plays werewolf at Thanksgiving and the most amazing thing happens. My, uh, my wife's uncle, who was a Vietnam War vet, who is the most quiet, reserved, stern, nightmare uncle that you would think, right? I actually get along with him well now, but he's also yeah. like, all right, Hollywood, what do you want? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Um, got him to play this game, and my wife was like, are you sure you want to play with Uncle Bruce? And they're like, well, let's just give it a try. Let's just see. He got so into it instantly. Like, she's evil. She's evil. you got to kill her. No, I'm telling you it's her. Yeah. It's definitely her. Way, way into it. My parents, way into it. Like immediately. Mm. I think there was a thing that before the games of the modern era, I think our parents' generation played parlor games. Right. I think when they would just hang out and have social events and things like that, they would play parlor games. And so they know something about this. This is a lost technology that they still access right like now. What? So like what parlor game? Like what would they, what, what would that be? They would do like, they would have mixers and they would play games where you have to figure out like, uh, there, there was the old uh, TV show, What's My Line, right? Yeah. So you would have like, they would have games where there would be three people and they'd be sitting in chairs and everyone would be able to ask them questions and they have to figure out which one of them is, is telling you the truth about this particular thing sure. and stuff like that so i think it's very very right. similar they would mm. there were games like this the reason werewolf and mafia and things like that exist is because they are they are social games that are public domain that have existed for a very long sure. time and so variants of this i think go back to that people's time which is to say i think i'm gonna get this game matter of fact i can tell you i am definitely gonna get this game the reason i'm gonna get this game is that 
um, for those party situations, for those situations where we've got 10, 15 people yeah. and they're, they're varying ages and all yeah. this sort of stuff, this is an experience. Yeah. And this is a very high-level experience that has been put together. And for those people who are not gamers, most of my objections melt away. Right. They want to have the best experience. Yeah. And with a with a GM that has the ability, with the, when the storyteller has the ability to put their finger on the scales a little bit, when they're given a little a little a little fiat to balance things, and if yeah. they do a good job, they're going to make an incredible experience for these people. And as long as these people aren't going to object to that, and for the most part, if they're not heavy gamers, they won't object to it. Yeah. This is the next level. This is this is taking what I've already had success with in Werewolf. And blowing it out of the water. Yeah. I never need to play Werewolf again. I mean, I I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. So uh, even though I have some reservations, I have to say, I highly recommend Blood on the Clock Tower. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, and I think it's that it's going to grow when you play more. I look forward to it, yeah. Jesse. Thank you so much for yeah. bringing this to yeah. us. You, uh, you you had a you had to really uh, push and advocate and and make it happen. <laughs> and I'm very very glad yeah. you did. We had a great great time awesome. last night. We got to move right on because we are running out of holy cow. We're running out of time. Uh, let's get to the group member specific segment. We're going to talk about immersiveness where game mechanisms meet theme. Jesse, talk to me. All right. So. This is a concept that I have been, this is probably my most favorite concept about gaming that I'm most fascinated with. Um, uh, so, you know, games are sort of, you know, they're fun for different reasons. Like we, we, we've talked about flow mm-hmm. and that, you know, for just to recap the, the idea that uh, it, it, it's where you're, where the challenge meets your ability, right? Yep. And so if you're really good at something and, but it's not very challenging, or you don't have a good opponent, it's not going to be very interesting. Or if you're not very good at something and it's super hard, you're playing as someone who's, who way outclasses you, that's frustrating too. But if you're really good at something and the challenge is really great, or you're playing as that great opponent, that's flow, man. <laughs> that's that sort of undescribable, except we're describing it now. Uh, that's flow. That's, that's, that's why people play board games. And I think there's another element that um, is sometimes sort of indescribable. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the term immersiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's the idea of it's where the game mechanics match the theme. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a little bit about this. I know Trey's into this concept. Sure. Uh, you guys were talking about theme last week, yep. and Dimitri says that he likes that, and he says that uh, Terraforming Mars has that. Um, and and I, I agree to on a small level. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that that is the most sort of immersive game, and I'll kind of get to, to why that is. But sure. um, um, But, like, I'm talking about, like, like chess. Chess is, is a great game love it it is not immersive no it elicits flow but it's not immersive at all because we're talking about the actions that you actually take in the game is that making you feel like you are actually in what the theme is telling you that this world is chess is far too abstracted for you to connect on an immersion level right yes because i'm taking a piece i'm going to move it to another square and that's not if we're talking about this, uh, uh, we're a kingdom, and I, maybe I'm the king, and like you know, or I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna um, have, move my pawns and make them do this and that. Like, but I don't actually feel like I'm doing that. I'm just moving a piece of wood, or you know, across the table. Right. Um, and uh, but like for instance, I'm just gonna say like um, area majority influence. Okay. So like Twilight Struggle, uh, Star Wars Rebellion, War of the Ring. There's this like. 
this feeling of looking at a map. There's got lots of games have maps. Sure. Right. But sometimes with a theme, like when I'm playing Star Wars Rebellion mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the map of the galaxy mm-hmm. and I feel like Darth Vader, I feel like a, an Imperial general and I'm looking for the rebels. That aspect makes me feel like I am in the game. All right. But is that a virtue of the mechanic or is that just chrome? Is that just pretty plastic pieces and a pretty board? My greatest area control game of all time is El Grande. It is a beautiful map of ancient Spain, but it is little wooden cubes. And the little wooden cubes are here, or they're here, or they're here. I would not say that that is a tremendously immersive game. It's not right. unimmersive for me, but it is a little bit. So is it? So what makes one immersive and, and the other one not? I wonder if it's not just the pretty plastic pieces. I, I don't think it's just the pretty plastic pieces because Twilight Struggle is a, it's an elegant game. It's not a, it's not a super gorgeous game. But the fact that you feel... Wait, Twilight Imperium or Struggle? Twilight Struggle. Okay. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So I don't think it's a... I, I do think the visual element does help. Yes. Um, in the immersiveness of it. Yes. But um, but there's some, like, again, like there's lots of games with maps. You know, uh, there's a board. It's a board game. But sometimes <laughs> when you're talking about the theme or it's like in Twilight Struggle, it's like, you know, the U.S. versus Russia, and you are really looking at the map of the world and strategizing. You feel like you are strategizing. How am I going to beat Russia? You feel like you are sitting in the chair actually doing that. Yep. Now, the fact that you have these cards and you're playing a card, which is an event, well, you can think, oh, that's cool. I'm putting Fidel Castro in, you know, in Cuba. But no, the action of playing a card is not immersive. The action of rolling dice is not immersive. There are very essential... The action of playing a card for me is, I have to say, mm-hmm. because I do, I do uh, imagine that event happening. I do imagine that situation has just erupted, right. and that is what's happening. And so for me... It is immersive. It really does. It that it works for me on that level, and I think that's the thing about immersion. The thing about immersion is that it is a it is a fairly personal experience in terms of what what pulls you from standing above the game board and puts you on it. But see, I I, I disagree because I I think that so it's not a highly personal experience. <laughs> it is a highly personal experience. Um, <laughs> there are certain again the action that you're taking of playing a card, unless somehow the theme is doing that it does it, it, that act, actual action i'm not talking about like what you're uh the world that you know the what you're imagining you're doing but i'm actually talking about the physical action that you're taking does not immerse you there's two separate things we're talking I about i don't here. think that's true so, so let me give you another okay. example negotiation okay diplomacy yes that game's super interesting because now one of the things, the negotiation aspect, that is a real thing. Yes. You are actually negotiating. Now, I could play a negotiation card, which could have all these you know, machinations, all these mechanisms happening that could sort of simulate a negotiation. But in diplomacy, you're actually negotiating. You're talking to people. You yeah. are. It's a real confluence. In right. Genoa, you are actually exactly. negotiating. But that's different than area control. Because in area control, you're not actually building a ship. 
you're just taking a little plastic piece and you're putting it on the board. Right. You're not actually piloting that ship. You're just moving it from space Correct. A to space that B. Immersive. That to me is no, but you just said it was immersive. No, I said, I said that placing a piece like in chess is not immersive. Right. But the feeling of the fact of the area control, and I'm actually, I'm not sure if that is the right mechanic, but those types of games in these certain themes where you are overlooking a map. Like, I'm not even sure if this is there's, there's the, right, the right term. But the idea that you are looking at a map and you would actually do that in this world if you are actually doing this. Uh, so what you're looking at is not the actual map, but you're, looking, you're standing in the war room looking at the war plot. It makes you feel like you are actually doing that. And like El Grande, I, I don't imagine that I'm overlooking that world, like that, that actual map. Hmm. But like uh, I'll play like XCOM, and I'm imagining um, actually looking at the world in that. You played XCOM? No, I haven't, but I know the oh game. Oh my god, it's amazing! <laughs> um, you know, it's got like the tactic stuff, and then it's got like the you know you're managing your sort of headquarters and all the different things you're developing. Okay. And you're but you're looking at the world and you're imagining how you're going to manage these things, and I actually feel like I'm in that world. I feel like I'm a, this commander, right? Gotcha. Okay. And. Well, negotiation games certainly fit that bill. Right. Because when you're negotiating, you are legitimately negotiating. When right. you are, there is no question that WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. The, right. There is no separation between right. the thing that you are doing and what the real world thing you would be doing is. Right. So that's my point. Good. Cooperation. Betrayal games. Okay. Yep. So Dead of Winter. Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yep. So that aspect of actually cooperating with somebody hidden roles trader mechanics yeah dune sure yep but like so it's hard to pick a whole game that can touch all these bases because you've got different mechanics that work and of course worker placement worker placement is a very like common and and, and essential oftentimes like you know mechanic that is it's makes a great game but it's not necessarily immersive right I mean, yeah. So your definition and my definition of what makes a game immersive are slightly different. And again, I'm I'm borrowing this word. I'm not sure if this is the best word, but I'm trying to find one word to sort of capture the idea of when your actions meet the theme, the actual actions. Yeah, what you're talking about is is getting as far away from the simulation of something as possible and right. trying to make it feel real. Right. Which so, is a little bit different than immersion. Because I can get immersed in something like when I play a card in Twilight Struggle, I am imagining the, if I'm Russia, I'm imagining the smoke filled room in the Kremlin. And we are deciding, right. okay, we are going to activate the partisans in Cuba. Fidel is going to be in power. Right. And I'm playing that card. And that is what is, is happening. So for me, it is very immersive because I am no, I'm, I'm in that experience. What you're saying is, is that you're playing a card, you're playing something that represents something else. And because of that, it's not, it, it's not immersive by your, by the way right. you're looking at it. I'm saying that it. if there was a bad example, this is just what came to my head as I was imagining what you were talking about. But let's just say like, let's say there's a game where you can execute somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And you could play a card, I'm going to execute this person and I play this card and now they're executed versus let's say you had a prop gun or something. Sure. And when you did it, you got to pull the trigger. That action. Cash and guns. You would, exactly. Guns. Right. So the fact that they have that makes mm. it more immersive. It makes you kind of go, oh, I'm in this world. Mm. It makes you, it's that little step further away from I'm just playing a game to, oh, I'm actually here. 
Okay. It empowers you. It makes you go, ooh, like this is this is fun. I'm actually I'm actually these people. I was playing a, a Godfather Corleone's yes. uh, something or other. Have you played it? Yeah, I've, I've demoed it. It was a while ago, but I don't remember. There was something in that game where I had this power, and I actually like for a moment went. I actually feel like the Godfather right now. <laughs> like I have this power and I could, I don't know if it's because I could throw that's something awesome. at the Hudson or, but I was like, I want more of that. And that's, I think it's really what kind of like started this, like, what is that? And made me like analyze it. Um, and like, and, and dead of winter, like that feeling of like, we're talking about managing zombies, right? There's, there are those pieces, there's little zombie figures and there's our figures and we have to put them on, on the board, mm-hmm. but we're talking to each other. We are cooperating. There's a potential betrayer. And I actually did feel like this was dead, like this was The Walking Dead when we were negotiating each other. I mean, me and, and me and Trey got into it one time, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. whole dynamic that was created was because of this mechanic that gotcha. I think made it really awesome. <laughs> right? Cool. Um, cool. Social deduction games are naturally like this is yeah. bring it back to Blood in the Clock Tower. Like you are actually looking somebody in the eye, and you are. What are you about? What are you doing? Like, they're naturally so immersive. I am actually lying to you right now. Right. And uh, I'm not playing a card that says I lie to you. I am lying to you. So even if people aren't hitting the flow factor, the fact that they're immersed because they're not playing a card that says, oh, I do social deduction on him and I see, oh, you got me. Let's also say voting is a mechanic. That is absolutely, that's another one that's on my list. Voting, trading. Mm-hmm. You know, even like in, in Catan, mm-hmm. I know you love Catan. You're not actually trading a piece of wood. No. But you are trading a card. But the fact that you are actually trading is is more immersive. Like if you were to like play a trade card and that did a, a thing, that would be different than you actually trading a card. Yeah, I don't see that being any different than playing Fidel in Twilight Struggle. It is no more real. I disagree than that. because you are actually negotiating with somebody. You are actually trading with them. But but I'm trading a card that represents something, just like I'm playing a card that represents something. Uh, we're talking very slight differences here. I know that on the card it's a, it's a it's an image of a wood, and so you are not that is not immersive because you're not actually handing a piece of wood, and you're not actually building anything with the wood. But the fact that you are actually trading and your brain is firing off those things of, I'm going to say this to this person and da 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 da. You're not playing a trading card, which there are games with trading cards. Sure. And that is not as immersive. But the fact that I'm actually going, hey, I really want that piece of wood. What do I need to do? Mm-hmm. You are actually trading. Mm-hmm. It is a kind small of. one, it's a small yeah. factor, but it, it exists. Same thing with voting. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, and how about like role playing, like D&D? Um, sure, of course. Um, Storytelling elements, obviously. Sure, of course, absolutely. Um, auction, bidding, bidding on things. Auction, like, auction puts me right into the right into the role. It depends, right? It depends on uh, how abstracted that auction right, is. Like right. uh, um, high society, for a simple game, it is. I'm a billionaire. I got a billion dollars in my hand, and there are all these beautiful things that I can buy, and I want to buy the best. I want to have the. Uh, you know, right. I want to be the I want to be the one on MTV Cribs instead of you. Right. Uh, th- that's great. That's wonderfully immersive for such a small, abstract right. little math game. Right. Or um, we talked about social deduction, but about deduction in the sense of like a uh, detective. We talked about sure. detective. So Very the fact much so. that we got the board. That's what we were talking about. How great that feeling is that you're actually a detective. Yep. It's immersive because you're actually doing the thing. I'm not playing the here's a deduction card. You know, figure it out. I'm actually doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. so. You know, I, I think that 
it, it would be, I think people should try to lean into that more mm-hmm. if they're designing games. Is sure. if there is thinking about their theme, if they got that figured out, what mechanics exist that could help them like uh, to make it more immersive, to feel like what actions could you do in this game? Sure. There could be little adjustments even. Sure. I mean, by, by your definition, it's, it's pretty, you know, there's a, a huge gulf between what we do in strategy games and what we do in your definition of immersion. So that there, by your definition, there might be a much bigger gulf than. than but there's than also you think a lot of gradations them. in that. Like, well, I just said a gradation, and you said no, not really. <laughs> what? Well, for me, you know, playing the cards in in, in Twilight Struggle is right. an, an immersive act because of the way that I'm 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 viewing what I'm doing, as opposed to a lot of a lot of games where when I play a card, it's like okay, in phase A, I get to do A, and 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 that does not. Uh, listen, I'm playing a card that is causing a historical event to happen, a mm-hmm. historical f- event I'm aware of, and I am playing the role of the mastermind of the Soviet Empire or the mastermind of the American Empire during the Cold War, mm-hmm. and this is my this is my move on the chessboard. But it's not a move on a chessboard. This is something physical and tangible. It is going to change the board. It's going to change the way the board looks. Yeah. It is going to expand my influence. And I know the history behind this, so for me, that is very that is very immersive. So in terms of gradations, right. that's I'm just telling you what the 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 where the target is of the the feeling. Sure, I'm, I'm I'm trying to create the distinction between playing a card and actually doing something that is trigger firing different things in your brain of you actually doing a, an activity. But that's trading the trading cards. Trading. You're trading yes. cards, right? So you're you're saying that the fact that there are cards involved isn't the important part. The important part is that the actual trading is different. Yes. Got it. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, let me put out a few that for me are things that you haven't mentioned that are, that, that can be immersive to me. Um, communication limits. Uh, there's a game called Space Alert, Vladic Vodl. That's on my list here, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about communication limits. There is a point where the recording will go, yeah. and when that happens, you can't talk to the other players. You're talking, talking, talking. Oh, okay. The timer is cut, is counting down, yeah. and all of a sudden there's a there's a radio interference, and you can't talk to the other players. That to me is one of those moments where when when that first happened in in That's great. that game, I was laughing so hard because I was like, oh, that is perfect right. and completely immersive. There's one of those moments where I just dove into immersion from my top down view, and and I was on that ship. Wait, so actually, but on that, so sure. so so simulation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes coupled with like real time, right? Sure, real time is cap, a, very much sonar. sonar. And then also, have you played Artemis? Yes, I love the, br- the bridge simulator. Yes, the yes. bridge simulator. I mean, talk about feeling like you're actually doing. The oh thing. yeah, big time. That is that is a that is actually the perfect example. It's a more of a, more of a video game than a board game, but wow, sure. you actually feel like you're doing the thing. Yeah. It doesn't. I don't know if there's a better example. Completely no. Well, I mean that's made. That's a video game, and yeah, it's yeah. made to be a simulation. Video games are more immersive because that's the way they're designed. That's what right. they're supposed to be right. doing. Um, bribery, Santiago. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever played Santiago with us? I think so. Uh, yeah, it's the one where where one person is the canal overseer, and the other people are trying to plant their their stuff, and you have to bribe the canal overseer to put the the irrigation so that it irrigates your fields. Yeah, and if they don't. Then you're you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. So you're paying money to get him to do what you want to do. And is this other people, NPC or is this a player? No, this is a player. Okay. Each round, whoever whoever bids the least in that round for the plots of land, for the fields, mm-hmm. 
they become the canal overseer. And they're the only ones that are going to place the irrigation thing that is either going to water those fields or not. So, oh, so people bribe you. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's wonderful. That's great. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, variable player powers for me. Yep. That was on my list. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 So Dune, Marco Polo, mm-hmm. when I'm playing a variable player of power, when I'm playing even Marco Polo, Dune, I mean, it, when it's a licensed title and it relates to something else, it's so much easier to be immersed because yep. you have a whole visual palette, mm-hmm. you have a whole story already. Uh, but even, uh, even Marco Polo is really good in that sense because. I'm figuring out. Oh, okay. I'm Mercator. I, you know, I, I run the, I run the bazaars from here to Khartoum, and mm-hmm. wherever you're going, I'm always getting a little piece of the action, and yeah. I get, I get what that is, and yeah. and that 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 invests me in a story that I'm telling myself right. as I'm playing the game. Yeah. So yeah, totally. Just like you feeling like you are some sort of character that you have a uniqueness, individuality, and and storytelling, like 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 Gloomhaven, like things like that. Like, I don't know, like you feel like you're an individual, you have your own player powers and there's a story happening. That's all immersive. It actually makes you feel like you're actually there. Yes. Yeah, listen, I love games that are able to do that. I think for me, Santiago is may, might be one of the best examples because it is a very much a Euro game. But because of the Canal Overseer, because of that bribery thing, I stop doing the math of what the actions are and I become this person on the Cape Verde Islands that is just trying to get along. And I've spent all this money to, to get this beautiful uh, field of peppers and they're going to dry up and die. If this corrupt canal overseer does not put the canal where he, sh- he obviously should put it. Mm. So how much do I have to spend right. for him to do that? It's a, right. it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that um, more games can have an eye toward that and see what they can do to increase that that uh, that amount of buy-in where you're not staring down at the board, but you're kind of uh, playing on the board. Yeah, I'd say like, so Dimitri mentioned Terraforming Mars, and I was thinking about it, and, and I don't really feel like I'm a corporation. Um, I think it's a great game. Yeah. Um, and you are sort of overlooking a map, but I... For some reason, I don't feel like I'm a I, I'm the CEO of this company, and I'm trying to, you know, I I I, I can tell you what the you know the theme you know of sure. the game is, but it's not I don't I don't actually feel that way. But when I'm when I'm placing a cube, a green cube on a on a card, that's telling me that's an animal. Like that doesn't immerse me. That action. Sure. Sure. And so, I mean, I definitely, I feel fairly immersed when I'm playing that game in the sense that I do feel like I'm a corporation and I do feel like my hand of cards are the various, are the various projects that our, our R&D department have come up with and choosing which one, how to spend our limited resources in order to do this and to bring this project to fulfillment. And by doing so, I'm literally changing the board before my eyes and 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 yeah. literally terraforming Mars. that one works for me i i agree with what you just, the latter part of what you said though which is taking the one taking the one cube of my color putting it on my thing and oh that represents a spaceship though that represents right. a a plant that represents a, a, a this is obviously abstracted but in a game that is so sprawling, you couldn't possibly have. Right. I mean, you would have to have a box that is, you know, ten feet tall with all the different kinds of pieces that you would need to represent all the different things that right. those things are. But but, yeah. but there are gradations in there. So I'm telling you sure. about like a sort of ideal, right? Sure. But there are so many different ways you could do any action that that 
you could simulate what, it, what it's supposed to be, yep. whether it's putting a cube there or, you know, uh, or I don't know what you would actually do to make this more real that there's actually an animal there or whatever that action would be. But there are lots of gradations in there that there's a be- maybe a better choice that could, because you found that there are lots of ways that immerse me. This immerses me when I do this. Sure. And so I think some people like, you know, don't think about that. I'll play games. It's like, this could have been a good game, but it's like, I just don't understand why they did this. Like it does, it's so blah. Yeah. But if they had just tweaked it a little more like this game, because this game, I, you know, I'm, then... Well, not every game can be immersive. We can understand that, right? There could be amazing games. Some of my favorite games are not very immersive. No, like chess. Though my favorite game of all time, Demoker, is tremendously immersive to Why? me. Why? Why? Because everything I'm doing in the game, I understand completely what it is that I'm doing in a political campaign. Mm-hmm. When I'm putting those pieces on the board, those are my campaign workers. When I am putting a media marker down, I'm doing a media buy. When I'm playing my faction, when I'm playing my uh, shadow cabinet members, I'm putting superstars out there on the campaign trail who are campaigning for me. So even though there is a translation that has to happen in the activity the sum total of the eight different things i can do to help my candidate win all feel completely part of a whole and and the most particular one is the fact that this state has these three very strongly held opinions and my party platform my candidates positions are these positions and i need to get them to to i need to either change my what I'm saying mm-hmm. to match them better so that I can get more votes or I need to go out there, media blitz them and change their opinion on those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. That is very immersive to me because that feels very immediate. Right. And, and what about the interaction between the other players? Like, Oh yeah. Well the, the uh, forming coalitions is happens in that game. Right. That is definitely immersion immersion because that is exactly what the conversation is, is exactly what is happening. Right. Right, one, it's a one-to-one relationship between yep. that and, yeah. and the competition thereof. Um, final thoughts? Um, no, I think we got it. I, guess, I think we got know, it. It's, it's very interesting. I, I think that you're absolutely right that um, there are a lot of games out there. Not every game, because some games just uh, will not lend themselves toward this. But there are a lot of games out there that could take some of the mechanics that we've been talking about and fold just a little bit of them in. And if they do, it just does create, you're right, it does create that little little bump of, that little hit of adrenaline of, yeah. I am not just dryly playing a strategy game, but I'm in it. Yes, I think if you're designing a game, it's like, how do you want the player to feel like when you're when yeah. you're doing that activity, how and then is there a mechanic that you could fold that into? Yes, you know, if they could approach it like that, then it, I think it immediately become much more. Oh, I get this, and like, oh, I'm in. Okay, I'm doing the thing. Yeah. Oh, I get this <laughs> game. You know, that's the idea. I, I love it. I love it. Jesse, thanks so much. We are long, dude. We are not going to be able to do Board Game Somalia. I do apologize to people. Please get your Board Game Somalia requests in, though, because uh, we're getting low in the bag. We still have uh, several to get through, but please contact us on Discord or via email. Um, you can find us on all the different social medias. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash GameBrainPod. We might have a little bit of video from our Blood on the Clock Tower session coming up shortly. We will see how it turned out. We have a Facebook group that is has a lot of activity on it and a Discord channel that is heating up as well. Get in those board games from all questions, as I just said. 
You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. Nailed it.